Hello everyone, welcome to this global GEG broadcast. We'll be making a start shortly, and while we're waiting for everyone to arrive, why not head into the chat, let us know who you are, where you're from, your Twitter handle, and if you've got any questions that you'd like us to answer during the course of this evening, let us know there as well. Also, if you haven't already done so, make sure you hit that subscribe button to make sure you stay up to date with all of the events being organised by us at Global GEG. We'll be making a start really soon. Thanks for joining us. Day two, y'all. <laughs> Day two. Oh, good morning, good morning, or evening, or wherever you are. It is about eight o'clock here. So um, I am Bonnie Chalette. Um, I am GEG South Louisiana. And other way, other way, I got it now. And you are? And uh, I'm Frederick Ballou. I go by Rick Ballou. I'm a GEG, Minnesota Metro area, though it's easier to shorten that to GEG MMA. That's the way to do it, for sure, for sure. Um, I hope everybody's ready. I hope you're, you're prepping to take your level two test. If you missed us on day one, you can totally watch the recording at the same link. Um, and like Darren said in our lovely video, most assuredly you should uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel because that is the best way to keep up with all the events we have scheduled and where to go. Um, most of the events, it, 90% of the events we have are on um, our YouTube channel. So really a great place to, uh, to follow and jump in. It's the only so, way I can keep track, honestly. I, I can't. So. I mean, you can watch it on TV. Like I have it, I have mine hooked up to uh, um, my TV so I can... I can watch myself when I do Googlers of the round table in a tiara on, on the big screen. Oh, yeah, oh. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter really appreciated it. Um, oh, I'm sure she didn't make fun at all. I don't, um. know. I don't know. I don't know. She's so kind. Um, she does not appreciate it. She does wear her global GEG shirt all the time. Well, that's um, nice. She, don't have stole, one, she does. stole your innovator shirt too, didn't she? Yeah. I think it's cause it's black and she's like into metal at nine. Um, <laughs> hey, could be worse things. So, <laughs> all right. So day two, um, you can find both slide decks. Uh, you'll we'll give these slides at the end of this presentation. I do have a bitly. It's just when, if we have a bunch of people on it, it can be a problem. So we wait till the end of the presentation to give out the slide deck. Um, but this, the recording for day one, the recording for day two, and the other slide deck can all be found on the Global GEG website. Um, and we'll tell you more about that. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's get started. Get started. Um, no. oh, mm, went to sleep. <laughs> so today on day two, we got groups, blogger, YouTube, books, scholar, search, maps and earth. And then at the very end, we'll have question and answer, but we have a surprise about what that question and answer is because it's not necessarily happening here. It might happen at your local GEG. Okay, I gave it away. There's no surprise. That's just what it's gonna be. But that that's what we got going today. I'm excited, I'm excited. Um, I know some of these tools might mean something that you're, you're not, it's not an everyday tool. Not everybody's using Google Scholar all the time, um, but it's, it is very much on the test. Um, I would, I would just remember to, for some of these, like just follow the instruction that Google gives you. Um, I think 
Rick, you said once that the way that they test you on YouTube is not the way you use YouTube in real life. No, no, it's <laughs> what they tell you to do in YouTube. Exactly. So, um, so for some of the some of these like search, um, it's gonna have like do this and just follow those instructions really specifically, and you'll do fine. And copy um, and paste is your friend. You don't need to be creative. If it says type this out, just copy it and paste it because it's not a human who grades it; it's a computer. Yeah, and I, I I never thought about that until uh, I came to the Global GG and Rick said that like totally copy and paste. I know I've I typed it on all my tests. Um, Blogger, like I said, these are some tools maybe you don't use all the time, and that's what level two is. It's it's your level one and the you know, and I think Darren says level one but harder, but level one and then like but extra but beyond that like next steps. Um, so Blogger, um, I know it's something I didn't really know that much about till level two. Um, and then maps and stuff like that. You'll, those are all, these will all be on that test. Word. Oh, yep. Once again, um, you can find me on Twitter, Bonnie Schlatt, and you can find my GEG at GEG South uh, Louisiana, South LA. Yep. If you flip to the next slide. Wait, who's sharing? I'm sharing. Ha, that's you. My bad. Um, yeah. And that was on the previous slide. We had the wrong one shared. Sorry. Um, anyway, our website, the resources, you can find it this bit.ly at the bottom of the screen. It says bit.ly slash global BCL2. Um, so that's where the slides will be at the end, because we're not going to do that now. Because if we do, then we can't do it. You, We won't be able to move the slide deck. But yeah, and we'll, we'll give you, I know slide decks are so helpful for reviewing. So we got you. Um, and that's just like our number one question. It's like, when, you know, can I have the slide deck? Absolutely. Um, we'd just be at the end because if we give it to, you know, 300 people, um, it'll, it, it just, you know, trying to make things more efficient. For sure. All right. We uh, did things differently with level one. We did that really cool leaderboard, which is amazing. And I still don't know what wizard we used to, to fix it all up. But Man. now, yeah, we're gonna have badges. And I really like the badges. R Rick, did you get any badges? I didn't, I need to, I need to them out. I, I need to do them too, cause they are pretty sweet. And I mean, who doesn't love badges? If you don't, you're, you have no soul. So that that's I know. my I know. Badges are the thing. And um, we have these amazing badges. I think, um, and so we have them for all the different tools. You are welcome to earn them and, and all of your presenters will tell you exactly how to get them. Um, if you're looking for more information, you go here to this link and it'll help you with all the badges. Um, and I'll go ahead, um, once we get started, I'll go ahead and, and pop these into the chat again, just so, just as a reminder for you. Right. Uh, someone asked um, in the chat already, yeah, Haya? asked what we're supposed to do with the badges. Well, obviously you put them in your email signature and have all of the bootcamp ones straight across the bottom of your email signature. That's what you do with them. I'll talk Whatever about this want. one. Yeah. Um, there's ahead. a bit.ly here at the bottom. Uh, it's called bit.ly bootcamp cred with a capital C. Um, if you want grad credit for this, you can 100% do that. Just go to that bit.ly. And depending on how many credits you want, it will tell you what to do for the task. If I'm not mistaken, one credit was 32 screenshots. Uh, two mm -hmm. credits was that and like what, it was 
six flip grids or 32 screenshots or 64 tweets or one credit. Right on. That's pretty cool. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, not only are you getting your certification, you can get grad credit for it too. That's pretty sweet. So, oh, and it looks like Stephanie cool. Howell just posted, you can also win a free voucher. Oh. To take the test for free. Okay. Nice. Okay. That is news to us okay. like right now. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, we are right at, I think we are supposed to, to start at 810 and we are right at 808. So we're going to jump into groups. Um, I think this is, this is going to be, this is a great way to start this boot camp right here. This team right here. Um, you are, guys are in good hands. All right. So Pile and Tyler, are y'all ready? We yeah. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna remove myself from the stream and you're sharing your screen. Great case. Yep. Just okay, you got it? All right. Y'all enjoy. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Hi everybody. We are uh Tyler Colson from GG Louisiana. Yeah, she's a leader in G uh, well captain, right? In GG Louisiana. Yes. And a global GG leader, and I'm Pilar Hernandez. I am the leader of GG Monterrey, and I'm also a leader at Global GG. And new to VIA 20. Yay! We're working on that too. <laughs> so we're both going to tell you how to do uh, the part of groups that level two requires, which is very simple. We're going to go through the steps by showing you how um, how these these details are done. So Tyler is gonna start with sharing her screen to show us how to create a group and add some members. Is that correct, Tyler? Yes. There we go. Okay. We're good, we can see? Yeah, we're good. All right, so um, for creating a group, if you notice within the last week, groups has done an update. And in my opinion, I don't like updates, but I really like this update. So if you just go to groups.google.com or go to the waffle, um, which is the top right corner in groups, um, this is what you're gonna see. You're gonna see the groups that you are in already. And then to create a group, you just click on your left-hand side. You just click the create group, okay? After you click create group, you're going to enter the group name. So if I'm just going to say, um, let's see, Tyler's awesome group, then it's going to automatically create an email address. Um, and then I'll do group description and I can say my awesome group. And then next, and then I'm going to let Pilar talk about the privacy settings. Yeah, the privacy settings are um, basically the, the things that you want to share in this group, like who is going to share, who's going to see, who's going to be able to post, etc. So starting with the very beginning of the, of the box, it says who can search for the group. And so it says group members, that means that you need to invite people personally, or it has a, 
a scroll down menu. Can you open it up, please? And it says, mm -hmm. or anyone on the web. When you give the name of the group, people, if you choose this option, people can look for your group and then ask to join. Because it says who can join the group, only invited users or anyone can ask or anyone can join. So that means that you can either leave the group open or make it a closed group by invitation. And then who can view conversation? You have a level <clears throat> of privacy that goes from uh, only the, the owner, which is the person that created, the manager, which is something that you can assign to a person that is part of your group. Members would be anybody who enters, or the last choice would be to say it anybody on the web when you make it an open group. Who can post is the same set of choices and who can view the members would be the same. For instance, if you're gonna make a group with your students, it would be better that you don't put that everybody can see the members. You can say that only the manager of the group sees the members. And then we move on to how to add members. You can do it directly from the creation of the group. How do we do this, Tyler? Yes, you can do it directly from the creation of the group by um, sending them out email addresses. Um, and uh, you can also automatically do managers. Now, don't fear. If you Usually what I do is I create a group. I go back and add manager, uh, members and managers. Um, so you can do that later on. And then you can also have a welcome message like this. Hi and welcome to the group. So as soon as they get, um, they join the group, then they'll be in that group. And then you just click create group. I have to prove that I am not a robot. Apparently I am a robot. No, you're not. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, taxis. <laughs> uh, awesome. So I'm not a robot and create group. And my group is created. That is right. And, and then, then I can go to group. Exactly. And my group will be there. And here is what the group looks like. And I'm going to, I have all of the conversations. I can see the people, um, people who I've invited who've not yet accepted. That's impending members, um, band users. But I'm going to go into settings because Pilar is going to talk more about what we didn't cover in the settings. Yeah. When, when you open up the group, when you create it, you're given the choice of deciding the settings there. But you don't have to decide the settings there. If you do, you can just review them in this choice that Tyler just showed us. If you didn't decide before, then you can decide carefully now about the the privacy settings, who can see, who can post. For instance, there is a posting policies that says um, it, whether you want the conversation history on or off. Remember that these groups are gonna be like, uh, like a forum where you can enter there and see there the post and answer, but it also is an email list. It can be an email list where you answer directly. When you receive the update of somebody posting, you can reply right there and the conversation is posted. So all these settings are going to be uh, decided on this choice. There's also, yeah, the email option, right? Yes. So when you send an email, uh, if you go a little bit up there, when you send an email, it says subject prefix. That means that in the subject of the mail that is sent out, we can put a specifically like a code 
for instance, uh, if you're if your group is to email parents announcements, you can uh, you can start with like in brackets, put in um, announcements so that the parents know whenever they receive this email in their inbox by the subject that this is an important announcement from the class. So this is what the subject prefix means that every time that you post something, this is gonna be appearing on the email that the person is going to receive. Every time that you make any changes on these settings, that appears at the bottom, I don't know if you noticed, a save changes button right there. Yes. And, and that is obviously to save the changes that you made. These settings also allow you to delete the group at the very end. But we're going to first talk about uh, member moderation. Go ahead, Tyler. Okay. So, again, with members, you can always go, uh, look at your... See who can, we talked about earlier when we made it, who can manage members, who can delete, um, you can assign settings. Um, so who can modify roles as well? So there's group members, that's everybody in the group, and then managers, again, that's just people you specifically assign to be manager of a group. So you may not want your your owners or those who make the group, your owners have the, the rights to delete the groups and pretty much have the same rights and roles as everybody else. But the managers are just able to manage members. Um, and also, uh, the last thing I want to talk about in groups, a lot of people say, well, why I have groups? Why is this a thing? So in my opinion, groups is a thing where you can get all of your information together at once. Um, a lot of times when we send out mass emails, nobody reads the emails. I know I don't. I just click delete, delete, delete. So um, if you if you're at your school and you want um, a group with parents or just a group of teachers, um, or a group of maybe your PTA to just come together and share resources. Everything can be here in groups at like you can attach files, links, everything is together. That way things don't get lost. And as somebody who used groups, as y'all saw when I shared my screen at the beginning, I lose a lot of stuff. A lot of times I want to specifically search for something um, as it relates to maybe something Google, then I'll just go to groups and then just uh, conduct a search in groups. Okay. There's also the choice uh, of deciding how much you're going to be, as a member, how much you're to be receiving. Like Tyler said, like if, if you don't like to receive every single post that is going to be um, made by the members or the owners and you just want to get a summary of it, there's also that choice. Yes. This is in my membership settings on the left. Yeah. So in you can Exactly. You can you can decide how much do you want to receive. If you want to receive each email, look at the choices. Can you open them up again in the subscription? Right there. Yes. It says each email, average, digest, or no email. So if you choose no email, that means you're not going to receive any sort of email that is a post or any announcement. You're not going to receive anything unless you go into Google Groups and check it. If you do choice, uh, if you do uh, take a choice of the others, then what it says is what you're gonna get. There's a, each email that every time somebody posts, you're gonna get an email. So they could be a lot. So for that, it's gonna be needed to manage uh, your inbox in a different way so that it doesn't uh, overboard your your email. It depends on the type of group that you're in. Um, if you want, you can also select. Uh, abridged or digest to get summaries of it. 
Now, when you're in the level two exam, the, the thing that you need to know is how to create a group and how to decide the privacy settings because they are going to probably ask you as a teacher, how would you use the group? And the way that, um, the, the way that they, they are um, asking you to create a group is usually like create a group to share with the parents or create a group to share with the students, like a discussion forum. So make sure that when you're uh, taking your test, you remember to read the instructions of what is it that they're asking you to do so that you are, um, like Rick and Bonnie said before, you're just following the instructions given by the test. And if they're telling you to make the group a certain name, just copy paste from the instructions so you don't make any mistakes when it's graded. What are, what are we missing, Tyler? I think that's it. I think that's it. Let's go back to the slides, please, Rick. Yes. I, I don't in know why slides, I lost the stop sharing screen. In the slides, we left it for you to get the slide deck. Uh, gifts for each one of the steps of how to make a group. There's a gift that shows all the steps. Then the group settings, group privacy. And then the last one is done email options where you can select the subject prefix, et cetera. So when you're reviewing, you can check it out from there. And if you have, <laughs> if you have any other questions, you can, um, you can go back in the recording and check it again. You can check the slide deck, or if it's like too much and nothing is answering your, your question, then you can reach out to us. These are our Twitter handles at underscore Pilar Charles for me and Tyler. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't put it in my, my name, but I'm at Tyler Loves Teach, T-Y-L-E-R-L-O-V-E-S-T-E-A-C-H. Yeah, Tyler Loves Teach. And then don't forget to get your badge. This is what you need to do. You need to create a Google group and change the settings and take a screenshot of the settings that you created. Don't forget. Awesome job. Yes. I really, I, I like it that Tyler, oh, I didn't know it was coming, I didn't know it was coming. Um, I like that Tyler has a bunch of groups, just so do I, and I really think it is a powerful tool. I think old groups had a lot to be desired. Um, pro tip too, like say you make a little group, like, um, you know, ELA PLC or whatever you want to call it. If you want to share a document, if you're consistently sharing a document with like the same eight people, make a group and then you can just share it to that group. So you're not always typing in those same eight names because you've got a group, you've got a group at work that you share the same stuff with all the time. Even if it's yep. just like your work besties. Um, Even if it's so, just three people, it saves so much time with that yeah, group. Yeah, just type in ELA PLC at, uh, you know, whatever the email is and then it'll just share with those same people and it's just, it's a real, I know we use a lot with Global GEG because we share with groups of people all the time. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank, Thank you, guys. guys. Good. So good. All right. We are moving on. Who's next, Rick? Who's next? Looks like we got Blogger, and that is Paula and Teresa. Let's add them in. And a bunch of new presenters today. I like it. I like it. Not that I don't like my same people all the time. <laughs> But it's good to mix it, right? It is nice. It is nice. I know. How are y'all? Good. We are here to talk about Blogger. Yeah. Oh, 
Super um, good. Although it's, it's early, you know, people here in Washington State, it's still only 6.24 a.m. So bring the energy there, Rick. Oh, yes. Yes. It's only got the one sound that's, you know, YouTube appropriate. So. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get blocked. So let's please. Not. No, no. Abed will be angry. Uh, let's. It looks yeah. like, uh, Paula, you're ready to share. Let me throw that up for you and we'll get out your way. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, so, so good. good. Yeah, good morning. It's so good to be here. So it's not quite that early here. It's, it's 924 on the East Coast. But I was saying earlier, I have this dog who thinks it's like playtime o'clock. So um, he might join us. <laughs> it might be like a special guest here in the uh, perfect in the boot camp. Everybody needs a good boot camp mascot, right? Right. <laughs> and who doesn't want a golden doodle mascot? I know they're the best kind. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about Blogger. Awesome. So I am Teresa Hoover Dukasu. I'm um, at Musical Teresa on Twitter and Instagram. I'm, as you can tell from my my handle, I'm a middle school band director in um, Arlington, Virginia, which is right outside Washington D.C. Um, also, a Google certified trainer and innovator, and I forgot to put it up there, but I am the co-leader of GEG Northern Virginia. So really happy to be here today. Hi everyone, I'm Paula Perryman. I'm at Tech Chick Paula. I am a tech integration and CTE director in Washington state. Um, and I am a Google certified trainer. So we're just happy to be here with you guys today to go over blogger for you. Yes. So our goal today is we're gonna go over how to create a blog, how to create a post, invite new authors, go over some different settings and then talk about some additional resources for you guys. So um, what we've done in our slide deck for you is we have walked through the steps of how to create a blog. So you go to blogger.com and click create a blog. Um, Got to make sure you give the blog a title and be thoughtful about what your title should be. And um, you get to kind of customize your URL for your blog and also provide a public name. Then once you've created your blog, you're gonna add blog posts by clicking new post and um, titling each post. Then um, complete the body of the blog and publish and confirm. It's pretty simple. We're gonna show you how to do it once we kind of just review the steps. You'll actually be able to invite authors to your blog. So even though it's your blog, you'll be able to invite other people to, to be a co-author. And there's some various settings and permissions you could do. Um, it's really easy. Just can, can add authors by email address. Again, we'll go through those steps once we get into uh, once we get into Blogger. And then we'll go over some of the other, other settings because you really do have a lot of options, which are great if you're using this personally or with your students, everything from how you deal with the privacy to the domain, email, and the layout. So it's really nice how many different things that you get to customize this blog for whatever your needs may be. So, so let's get to it. We're going to go ahead and show you how to create a blog. So when you first get to Blogger, if you've never done one before, um, you'll get this big splash screen. And right here in the middle, create a blog. So you just click create a blog. Got to pick your user. 
Gotta hide this little guy right there. Well, look at that. It wants my password. <laughs> what? Okay, so now you got to pick a title for your blog. And here's where you want to take a minute and be a little bit more thoughtful in your title so that it's something that represents you. Our title is going to be boot camp. Um, to your question about what's the difference between a blog and a newsletter, um, I think a lot of people use blogs for newslettering. What do you think, Teresa? Absolutely. I guess I think a blog is more web-based, as, as in being something that's going to live online, that it can be shared by email, but typically it's going to have that web presence. Whereas to me, a newsletter is something that will primarily be sent out by email. Does that seem like it's a... Yeah, I think maybe like a series of newsletters. Mm -hmm. I think they could be interchangeable. You, and you can use a newsletter as a blog and you can use a blog as a newsletter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a great way of saying it. So once you've given it a title and you click next, you want to think about what the address is because that's the URL you're going to share with people. So um, let's go ahead and um, call this one. I don't know if somebody's got boot camp but we're gonna give it bootcamp level two, just, oh, nope, see, somebody's already got it. So see how it, when you do this, um, it'll tell you your address is available so you don't accidentally pick an uh, address someone else has. Then once it tells you it's available, you click next. What do you want it to be called? Perfect. This and then that's it. It'll It's gonna create the blog for us. And here we have our blog. So then the next thing you want to do is you're going to you're going to add posts and how this looks is going to be slightly different depending on the kind of computer you're you're using um, the, and the screen size. So it's either going to be up here. There's going to be a square that says new posts like in the screen clip or down here in the corner where we've got this plus and you just click that plus and here is your post. So you're going to give this a title. Uh, the blog post number one and then you're going to you know say here is our blog post um and at this point you're going to be able to use any of your usual um formatting with highlighting and bold face and all of that like you would with any regular google document the one thing to think about in blogger that is different than any other google product is that um the sun's coming in is that the mm -hmm. um Blogger doesn't automatically save your product. So you have to be sure you're saving your blog before you go to edit. So if you're going to leave and go do something else and come back and finish, you got to be sure you save it. But once you're done, you just click publish. And um, there are a few post settings, um, but generally speaking, you'll just publish your blog, confirm, and now this blog is somewhere where people could see it because it has been posted and published. Right. Depending on the settings you use, which we'll get into in a little bit, will determine who can see it when it's published. So then the next thing is, we'll talk about some of the settings and being able to invite authors. 
So the invite authors is again, it's in your settings menu, which you see there on the left. So you'll want to scroll down just a little bit and you keep scrolling through the settings. There it is back in permissions. <laughs> See, there's a lot of settings. So this is where it's going to talk about that idea with inviting authors. And really, with everything throughout this setting men, uh, menu, you just have to click on it, and it's going to give you those, those options. So if you could click Invite More Authors. And at this point, you're going to be able to type in email addresses of, of anybody that you would like to be a co-author on your blog, meaning somebody who is going to be allowed to post on the blog. So in this case, since it's, um, you know, Paula and Teresa's boot camp adventures or whatever we called it, Paula might invite, she's you know going to put in her personal address, she might put in my email address. And that way we could both contribute to this blog. Um, Years and years and years ago, I had a, a group of friends that I used to, this is going to sound silly, we were we were running buddies, we always ran together. And we all contributed to a blog where we would write about our races that we did. So we were all co-authors on this one, one particular blog. So that's just a way that you could use that in, in your personal, or you might have a blog for your students where everybody in the class is going to be a co-author. Once you've invited the authors, you'll notice that it, um, that person's name gets put under the pending author invites. So what will happen is when you invite the author, that person will get an email saying you have been invited to contribute to this blog. Do you accept? And once the email has been accepted, that person has accepted the invitation, then they will be an actual author in the in the blog. So that's just kind of how that particular setting will work. Now, Paula, can you scroll back up to the top of the settings? And we'll go over what some of these other settings are um, in Blogger. And as I said before, pretty much everything in this menu you can click on and do something with. We're not going to go over every single setting because I think you can probably figure some of them out on your own. But as far as like the ones that, that I feel it could have the, the most use for teachers. Um, the title, you do have the option to change the title and description of your blog if you need to. By just clicking on the word title, you can, you can go ahead and edit that. Um, and that should be, it. yep, you can edit your title easily. And as Paula said before, with a lot of things in Blogger, make sure you hit save because, um, you want to make sure that those settings are applied. You could change the language of your blog. Adult content isn't something we should have to deal with as teachers in schools, but that option is there. So just be aware of it. Um, if you could scroll down a little bit, the privacy settings are, are big ones. Um, whether or not this blog can be searchable. Um, when I was, was blogging with my, my girlfriends about our races, we did not need the world to hear about you know the, the most recent half marathon we had run so our our blog was set to private um, it was not visible in search engines that's something to think about with your students if you're using it if this is something you want people to be able to search for or um, or if it should be a bit more private yeah um, scrolling down to the publishing settings um, you do have the option to get a custom domain. Um, this is if you were maybe you're using your blog as somewhat of a, a classroom website or you're using it something that you wanted your um, you wanted parents to access or, or whatever your, your purpose is. You can actually purchase a domain from Google Domains, uh, GoDaddy, whatever your, your domain source of, of choice is you can actually purchase a domain and have your blog route through that domain. Um, 
as opposed to, I think if you saw when we were doing it, well, it actually says it right there under blog address, bootcamp.blogspot.com. So if you didn't want to have the .blogspot.com, you could purchase a custom domain to do that. Um, we're not going to go through all those settings right now because they it's a, a little bit more than you will need for your level two exam. But do know that it's an option that you have there. Uh, scroll down a little bit more. Coming down to permissions. We already talked about the idea of inviting authors. Um, another thing you can look at in the permissions has to do with who is able to read it. So if you could click on reader access, currently this blog is public. So um, anybody who is able to find the the, the web address is able to, to read this blog. You can change it so that just the authors could read. So again, like when I was doing a blog with my, my girlfriends, we had it private so that just we, we could read it. You can also set it so that only certain people could read. Now, this might be a great one for a classroom blog. If you have a blog with your students, maybe you just want their parents to be able to read it. Um, so you want to be able to, to enter those email addresses that only those people can access. So Again, with the using this in the school um, in the school setting, you really do have a lot of great options. So at the moment, our blog is going to be public because we want everyone to read about our boot camp adventures. <laughs> so we can save that. Uh, let's see. Scroll down a little bit more. You're looking at your post settings. So when you when you first go to the blog website. At the moment, we only have that one post that Paula started. Um, so you would see that one post. And it's set currently so that on that main page of the of the blog site, you would see seven different posts. Now, you could change that number. It could be more. It could be less. It really depends on what you want that to look like. Um, and that it's, it's going to also like auto archive old posts if that's something that you're going to to be using enough. So it really depends on what you what you want your main page to look like and maybe also how frequently you're going to be posting. If you will be posting a new blog post every other day, maybe you'll need more than seven things on that main page. Um, if you're only posting once a month, maybe maybe the seven is a good number. And Paula, feel free to jump in at any time. Yeah. I know I'm talking a lot right now. Yeah, no, that's totally fine. I, you know, it's funny because I think that is a, such a key thing. How often are you going to post? And 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 one of the things we're going to talk about when we get to our next step is um, ways to use this. Mm -hmm. And and um, I think that's something you have to consider too. If, if this is going to be a conversational piece, then what do we want the, our max post to show? So you know, if you have a whole classroom using it as a co classroom conversation. How those posts are going to look really needs to be different, and and ideally you're thinking about this stuff kind of when you first set it up. Um, again, you can go in and change your settings at any time, but think about the use for it and and who the audience is, and that'll allow you to decide like what do we want that frequency to look like? How often do we want it to archive? Um, so so just th that's how you can use these settings to make it be as effective as you want for its purpose. Mm -hmm, exactly. Um, so another nice feature about blogs, if you want to scroll down just a little bit, Paula, is the comment feature. And I think this can be really valuable in the classroom. And as we're going to talk about some of these potential uses in a bit, you can decide if you want people to be able to comment on blog posts. 
and who can comment on the blog posts and also have the idea, the option to moderate those posts. So if you're in a classroom situation and let's say it's a classroom blog, students are, are creating the various posts and you want them to learn how to comment on the posts, but maybe it's something you haven't really done yet and you're still, you know, you're, you're still learning how to appropriately interact on the internet. You might set the comments to moderate where you will have to approve each comment. Um, this can be a, a really nice feature, especially if you don't know who might be commenting on your blog to make sure that there's no, no spammers or, or inappropriate things like that. So you do have that option to, to set the comments to moderate. And, and like I said, decide who is going to leave those comments. Yeah, um, and you can have it email you the comments. So you don't have to be in here always watching. So if you see where, where the pointer is right now, you see it says, it, you might be able to see it's very light probably on the screen email moderator creation request to that way it emails you whenever someone makes a comment so that you it, you know you don't have to be sitting in blog all the time in order to moderate your students um, comments to one another mm -hmm. so I think that can be really helpful um, if you especially if you have a, a group of students and you want them to be um, working with each other but they need a little guidance from their teacher mm -hmm. and that's an important thing that we're teaching them you know that's yeah. part of of all this great things that we're teaching is is how to interact appropriately and I yeah. think that's important. citizenship is an important part of publishing things on the web and so this gives you an opportunity to, to kind of teach that skill along with your other things mm -hmm. good let's scroll down just a little bit more um yes some different options as far as the email goes as we talked about like the comments whether you want to get notified by email to get a comment there are settings where you could even post uh from an email um inviting people to comment, emailing posts to, to various people, um, and whether you want to get notifications about pending uh, pending posts. So a lot of email, a lot of email options that are right there for you. Scroll down a little bit more. And then finally in this formatting area, you can change your time zone, um, what you would like the, the date to look like, depending on, on where you are in the world what you would like the, the timestamp to be, things like that. So you do have some some good options as far as all that. And I believe those are, again, those are pretty much the biggest things that as a teacher, you're likely going to have to do. I mean, monetization, yeah. probably not going to be something that not, comes nope. into your, your education blog, but I guess no. it's possible. So, so um, since we've covered all of our settings, we're first going to talk about our... Badge. <laughs> so if you want a master blogger badge, you have to create a blog and a post, mm -hmm. and then you have to send us the link to your blog post. Right. So you can publish it on Twitter and tag Teresa at Musical Teresa and myself at Tech Chick Paula and of course Global GEG. And that will earn you the blogger badge. Right. And remember, if you're going to be sharing your post with us on Twitter or social, however, through social media, you'll need to check your settings to make sure that it is public and that we're going to be able to see it. So we're, we're tying in a bunch of different skills here with creating the blog, creating the post and making sure that your settings are are correct. Now, 
I think you'll be able to handle all of that. We have faith in you, all of our level two boot camp people. But there are a couple steps involved. So we're really, really excited to, to see what you come up with. And and the sky's the limit as far as what you're going to blog about. It could be talking about your level two experience. It could be talking about what you're doing over the summer. Or even if somebody is, is really you know, gung-ho, think about what you could use for your classroom. Is this something that you could incorporate in your teaching when you when you go back to school, whatever that may look like in the mm -hmm. coming weeks? So yes, especially in today's new world, right? Yes. So speaking of school, um, we do have a couple of different resources for you. Uh, just some some articles that we found that might have some info. But you know, in addition to that, we wanted to talk about some ideas that we had that that you might be able to put into use to use Blogger this school year. Um, and you know we've said a couple times throughout you could use blogger just as your as your classroom newsletter this could be the way that you share with parents what's going on in your class um, and that could be something that you as the teacher are responsible for putting together each week and maybe it's something that you do as the teacher and then gradually throughout the school year you start to release the control and start having students do it maybe you have a blogger team a newsletter team you have you know the the blogging captain who's in charge of, of coming up with what, what they'll write about things like that um, yeah oh, and you know what another thing that's really neat to use blogger for is classroom type discussions um, I have a, a friend who is a, a current world issues teacher, um, and, and that's a required class in Washington State. And the kids use their blogs to have conversations about opinion. Um, and she moderates, of course, to make sure everybody's, but we're talking about seniors in high school and it's time for them to be able to really look at that. And this allows them to have a safe place to have those conversations. Um, and I know people who use it as a weekly newsletter to parents. So please uh, really be creative in the ways, but we've provided you some resources. So you can go out there and kind of explore on your own too. Um, these are just some ideas that we've had about, about how you might in your classroom with your students and parents use Blogger to, to kind of enhance your electronic communications um, to your school community. Yeah, and Paula, kind of with your your friend who does that with her seniors, I have a friend who's actually a middle school band director as well, and she does every spring a Genius Hour project with her students, and they it has to be musical, you know, music in nature, but it really can be anything that interests them, and one of the requirements is that they have to blog about it, and as they go through the course of probably four or five weeks, they have to do a, a certain number of, of blog posts about their project, she pushes it out on Twitter and encourages other musicians, music educators to comment and to give the kids feedback about what they're doing, what, you know, what suggestions they have, encouragement, just little things like that. So you're, you're pulling together all of the student choice that they get by doing that Genius Hour project. They're also working on their, their writing skills and their, their digital citizenship. They're getting information from outside sources. It's just this amazing project. So, um, Yep, I ahead. think that that depends on what your goal is. Um, I think if you want the senior or the student portfolios to consist um, primarily of textual evidence, then Blogger is the way to go. If you're looking for all sorts of artifacts um, curated from a variety of resources, then you might look to sites because it is um, a little more open to a variety of, of things with images and, and um little videos and that kind of thing. And you can put those things in Blogger, but they're not 
if that's not its primary purpose, what would you say, Teresa? I think I would agree. I think if it's mostly just going to be text and like reflection based, that blogger could be a great portfolio. But if you're sharing a lot of other created resources, a site might work a little bit better. But the nice thing is you have options and you could also give your kids options, you know, see where they're the most comfortable. So I really hope that we've helped you and that, um, you know, you've, you've gained things from this. We're really excited to see the blogs that you create and, and start getting some some good badges for that. So with that, I think we can bring back our wonderful hosts. Hey, hey, that was awesome. Thanks. I, I the only experience I had with Blogger was when I took the level two exam and I started one Same. to be like, Same. let's see how I can Same. do use Same. this. But then I haven't touched it since. So like most of that, I don't not familiar with. So that was cool. Awesome. I know the control all the cheese that site. They, he uses Blogger um, for his stuff because I was looking at yeah. it the other day. Yeah. yeah. It's like leading by example. Um, it's almost like he knows what he's doing. All right. That was great, guys. It really, really was. I think you really, uh, a lot of people in the chat were saying how like practical and um, like how you gave some really good examples on how to use it, which is amazing. Um, awesome. And so the chat was really, really, there's a lot of examples here and a lot of people were chiming in with their ideas. So everybody keep posting, your, yeah, keep posting your questions in the chat. You've got, probably got access to more Google trainers in that chat than anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Well, thanks for having us, yeah. you guys. Yeah, Thank thanks. You. Um, yeah, keep putting your questions in the chat. Um, it keep, you know, we're going to keep on ticking. I don't want to get us behind on time. So I keep like, let's go, let's go. Um, yep. But let's yeah, make sure. Yeah, let's go. Becky, let's go. Becky and Devin. And Becky, we're going to share your screen. Hey, before you do, I uh, just want to let you know, everybody, we're okay. Apparently, in this Bitmoji, we, Becky and I have severe stomach pains, uh, but we've recovered. Everything is all right. No problem. The so, plan was supposed to be, I saw this, and I was like, oh, we're like rocking out. Like, we would be putting on our own show to put on YouTube. You didn't see that? No, let me no. Be now, clear. We have, now, apparently, we're suffering from appendicitis. Yeah, I, I see love Becky. Pain, but same same concept, totally. With all of me, I do. I love me some Becky, but her bitmoji choices are fascinating. Okay. I like the one in the chair where you're in pain. You had that one. Yeah. I had to take that one off because I. <laughs> Fine. Uh, so are not saying, for this here. Becky, uh, Becky's choices in in bitmojis are, are its own thing. That's that's. They're going to get better. They're going to get better. I'm going to bring out more. I, I promise. Just the intro, everybody. <laughs> the Becky and Devin show is real. Look at Devin's setup. Like This is happening. Crazy. Yeah. I, I love the, the fact that I get to customize the lighting to fit the presentation. Um, and we are going to try to make sure that this is as uh, customized with you in mind as possible. Yeah. So Becky and yeah, I are I'm here yeah, to talk a little bit about um, not just like you know, looking for videos on YouTube, but how to create your own channel, how to curate that and, and really make it your own so that you can get the most out of it. Your, your students can, can get a nice collection of uh, resources that they can build from, and you can customize and tailor it to the needs of your students, as well as really get a sense for how the students are using video 
Um, so, uh, Becky, uh, how are you today? I'm good. And before we get too much further, because I'm going to forget, it's still before 7 a.m. So my brain's not fully like working. The waves aren't all there. So if you want your coffee badge, get your selfie. This is an awkward pause. I'll have to freeze. Oh, everybody's hitting print screen now. Oh. Pinky's out. Mm, mm -hmm. Got that class right. game. Ooh, I actually chugged that. That was a bit much at once. Let's um, do that. Yeah, you know, it's all good. All right. I'm Becky calling. And end up like that first emoji. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to see a lot of me apparently during boot camp. That's it's it's fun. But um, I am in Southern California. So GEG SoCal. And I am an instructional coach in Santa Clarita. Hello again. And I'm Devin Rossiter. Uh, I'm a little bit further north of that Southern California here in Bakersfield, California. Uh, same time zone. I'm an academic coach at the Walter Stern Middle School. I'm also the founder and owner of uh, Outsider Education Systems and a Google for Education certified innovator from London 19. Woohoo! Um, all right. So let's, should we dive in? Let's do it. Oh, and I meant to hold the microphone up to each of us while we were talking. I forgot. Uh, sorry. So uh, we do have a little link and if that could get dropped in the chat as we're going, feel free to open up this link and put your questions in there and we'll be answering those questions throughout. So uh, follow this link up here and I think it's getting put in the chat. Cool. Rick did that for us. So I'm going to get us started with how to create your YouTube channel, how to upload a video, and then just to put that in playlists. And then as Devin was saying, I'll pass the mic to him and he's going to go into the analytics and all the good stuff. Like I put my video up now, what? So let's jump on over into YouTube. And once you're in YouTube to create your channel, you do need to be signed in. I'm not going to go into all the level one basics, but uh, so my part is pretty quick. Switch over to YouTube studio. So you come and click on your little letter up here and then select YouTube Studio. This mouse is wonky, I like it. All right, so now I'm creating my channel. Uh, use YouTube as I get to choose my name. This is the name that I created for this account. So Bootcamp Level 2 is my name and create channel. All right, so I can learn more. Um, Goodbye, Classic Studio. If you were using Classic before, so long. Don't actually want that. So let's let's get out of there. All right. All right. So now I've got my channel, and I want to upload videos. Um, or so, yeah, I have my channel in here. I can see it here. I can actually um, view my channel on YouTube. Let's do that before we start creating videos. Once I click on my big little B, I can change my picture that people see, and I can actually come in here and customize this channel. So when you go into other YouTube channels like Global GEG, and if you're not following, you should follow, hit that little uh, subscribe button. Uh, that was my plug for Global GEG, so I get my paycheck. Uh, come in here. Yeah, and check. yeah, yeah, about once a day. I'll be back. Yeah, you should go check that. <laughs> Yeah, we don't get a penny. So uh, Devin's going to be gone a while. 
Now you can add in, like I said, change your image, add that cool little background. I will say it gets a little strange sometimes because the dimensions change based on the device you're using. Um, but if you Google what are the dimensions for a YouTube channel, they'll give those to you. And you can actually create your own, I use Google drawing. And then um, you can add sections to your video. You can add channels or sorry, sections to your channel. And then you can add um, some featured channels within, but that's getting a bit ahead of ourselves. We don't even have a video in here yet. So don't focus so much on that. And on the test, they're not going to ask you to customize your channel as in creating art, at least not that I've ever seen or heard of. So let's come back home. And again, I want to be in studio. Let's come back to studio, YouTube studio, and let's upload a quick video. There's quite a few different ways to upload your video in YouTube studios. Uh, one is clicking this big, huge box that says upload videos. Another is clicking this little arrow that says upload videos. That's my favorite, probably because it's the least obvious. And then the last one is creating this one that has a video that says create. So all three of those, they take you to the same place. Like I said, I like this little up arrow because it's not as noticeable. And it's pretty intuitive. You have to just follow the steps. Don't you can't skip steps, so follow the steps. Select a file. We're going to choose one from my desktop that I I tried to find this a long time ago, not this morning. I was super prepared. So I've added my video. Once it's in there, give it a title. This is a practice video. Know that once you've added a video though, like so let's say I actually did want to use this video, I can't upload it to YouTube and then go into another channel and upload this same video into YouTube. It's going to catch that. It's going to say, uh-uh, uh, this video has already been added. So if you're going to practice with a video, practice with an actual video that you don't intend on making live or know that you're going to have to come back and edit this later to make it live. Um, ooh great thumbnail that it gave for me right there. Please don't get your coffee selfie with that image. And then I can give this a nice description. Add a description for your viewers. Even if it's for your students, you want to give them some purpose behind the video. And Devin can go into that later. And then as far as thumbnails go, it's going to give you three to choose from. They're usually really awesome. You get to make some fun faces. And this is the first time I've ever seen a thumbnail where I'm smiling. I feel like it's not appropriate that I choose that because it never shows up. So we're going to go with my favorite, uh, that one. Select your playlist. I don't have a playlist. So down here, this is where I would create one. Practice. And I can choose my visibility. Uh, should probably make this unlisted. <laughs> unlisted just means that unless I share the link, people can't find it. Uh, this is what I prefer for making videos for my students. In this case, this video is not for kids. Not saying it's bad, it's just not for kids. It's a video for adults. I do have more options. I can get into all of those, um, but I'm gonna let you do that on your own because they, they are self-explanatory. And if you're not quite sure what it's asking, you know, click on the little hyperlinks. And let's hit the next button. I can add an end screen or some cards, but Devin's actually gonna talk about that later. So I'm not doing that right now. I'm gonna hit that next button because you can always come back and edit. 
My publish options, uh, really quickly going over these. Private means that only you and the people you choose can see your video. So if you make your video private and then you try to share it out for um, people to see on Twitter, we're not gonna be able to see it. Unlisted, anyone with your link can actually see your video. Uh, but it won't show up on a public search. People can't go into YouTube and start typing in, you know, whatever I called this practice, da da da, with boot camp level two. Uh, they won't be able to find it. They'll have to have that actual link. And then public means that anyone on the world of YouTube can find your video. Oh yeah, again, not not a video. I really want the world finding. And now I can come in here. Another option is to schedule this. Uh, if you want it to come out on a certain date, schedule it. If it's a promo video or something like that, you might schedule it. Also, before I hit that save button, I can always copy my video link here. It's already made, even though the video might not be fully done uh, processing or loading. In this case it is, it's a 25 second video. I can copy that link now. I can also get it later. Hit that save button. And I have now uploaded my first video into my YouTube channel. I am ready to be a, a vlogger, a YouTuber, I don't know. Um, I can again copy the link here and hit close. Find all your videos by coming into this beautiful videos button. And this is where I stop because I'm gonna start taking over Devin's part. So I'm gonna come back to this. Devin, before, uh, before we keep going, we do have a few questions in here. Sure, let's take a look. Let's see, uh, and I can't show it on my screen, so. I'm just going to read them. That's fine. How do you add a microphone icon to your cursor and pointer? Oh, I love that because it actually doesn't have anything to do with YouTube. So, <laughs> custom cursors. It's a Chrome extension. So that's how I did it. I clicked on it and I chose the one that reminded me of YouTube. Oh, go back. Uh, why am I up early? I ask that every day. Is it possible to upload a video, then edit it and actually change it totally, but keep the same link. Great question. I'm wondering if you're asking like edit as in crop it or edit as in change the title, change the description. I think he's talking about changing the video itself. So like you have a link for a video, but then you take that video out and you put a new one in. I don't think that's possible. I think you're going to have to generate an entirely new link for that. Um, so that's something you want to keep in mind when you embed videos is that link is, is there for that video for good. So if you're going to have a new video, you're going to need a new link. Uh, fortunately, we can show you how to come up with and, and copy some of those to, to bring over back and forth. Yeah. Um, another thing, how did I, the, great question. How did you get to view your channel? So right now I'm in YouTube studio. To switch back and forth, if you're in regular YouTube, um, there's you, you click on the little icon upper right corner and you can switch between YouTube and YouTube Studio. To view my channel, I click on the big B in the upper left-hand corner or whatever your image is here, click on that and it's gonna take you to your channel where you can then customize. Um, you can also upload videos from in here. They let you upload videos everywhere in YouTube uh, Studio. That's it. So this is going to be an opportune chance for me to kind of jump in and um, share a little bit about what you can do to really fine tune what you have in the studio. Uh, so I'm going to cover a few points. And then afterwards, we have a couple of questions 
for you to see just to kind of gauge where we are in your understanding of some of the components, specifically talking about the, the cards components. So um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. We are now at my uh, channel here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go to the videos part just so you can get a broader sense of um, kind of what it looks like after you've had a populated channel built up with videos over time. Um, so uh, when I taught sixth grade at Voorhees Elementary here in Bakersfield, I ran a flipped classroom model with our uh, ancient civilizations curriculum. So I have uh, quite a few videos I've been able to uh, run, one of which in particular has picked up some traction since I published it about seven years ago. So I'm going to run with that one as kind of a model here. When you want students to interact with videos on a certain level, there are a lot of options here. I'm going to go with my main video here. And the one thing I hear a lot about is the comments as far as questions that may arise with that. Um, the YouTube comment section aren't always um, the most uh, ideal, but there is a way for you to manage that. And that is through uh, setting up uh, moderated uh, comments. So, if you go to the um, details button for your video and then you look at more options, you can go down here to comments and ratings and come down here. This is something that I would specifically have um, clicked down for hold all comments for review. The reason I do this is uh, because I want students to, again, you know, learn better how to interact with uh Contents, And so I'll give you a good example of how this can actually benefit you. In the flipped classroom model, um, you know, you have contents and students can navigate through it on their own. And then they take notes on that and they come back to class with questions. But when you have a lot of these pieces synced up like Google Classroom and you post a video from YouTube on there, students can comment to you whenever they watch it. And then you don't have to wait till the next day to continue that conversation. So um, we did a video about Mesopotamian achievements and the textbook had mentioned something about um, how salt had been used in a medical practitionery. And so, you know, I included that in the video without really giving second thought about it, but a student commented at about 8 p.m. asking, I don't quite understand this part. How does salt factor into medicine? Why is that important? And that caught me off guard. So it required me to kind of do a little bit of research because I don't want to leave an unanswered question if it's going to spur conversation and if I'm going to be able to use that moment to encourage others to participate. So about 10 minutes, I got back to her and followed up with a comment later on um, that said that, you know, salt is used as a disinfectant for bacteria. And that's still relevant today. If you've ever had dental work done, they ask you afterwards to rinse with salt water to kill off any germs. And so like that inspired a lot of further conversation and a deeper appreciation of the content from students. So when you hold all comments for review, you'll get notifications uh, as far as when comments come in and you decide whether to approve it, to make it visible on the, uh, the, the channel or to uh, delete it so that students can't see it. So uh, that is something that's that's really helpful to let you moderate on your own terms. Um, there is an option where you can allow YouTube to hold potentially inappropriate comments for review. Um, depending on your level of interactivity and the trust that you have in those algorithms, you can select that as well. Um, so you do have some options in that regard to those, moderate the content. The ones they moderate, at least I haven't found that they're they they're very good at moderating all. Yeah. 
you were the best moderator for your students and for your community. So I would go ahead and make sure that you go with hold all comments for review. Um, also, as far as ratings, if you want that, if you want them to see the thumbs up, thumbs downs, you can, but you know, kids tend to trend towards the negativity if they see it. So, um, if you want to remove those, uh, you can as well. So it allows you greater control over how students interact with the video. Now, as far as another feature that allows students to kind of navigate and see what's coming along with the video, um, you also have the options to do a couple of things in editing. So um, with the editor itself, if you need to trim the video and, and, and uh, tighten it up a little bit, I can tell you from experience that, um, you know, anywhere from four to five minutes is probably the ideal length as far as a max for a video that you create and upload. Anything more than that, and you're subject to students kind of clicking around and losing focus. Even when it's this length, you want to make sure that there's an opportunity to pause and check in every, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes just so they can digest the content. Because while students, yes, they can pause and rewind at their own pace to understand things, you still want to make it as digestible as possible. Um, and, and that's a great just kind of practice for creating instructional video. If you've never looked at the work of Dr. Richard Meyer from uh, UC Santa Barbara. Um, he has mastered the, the study of multimedia theory of learning. I recommend you look at all of his research. He had a great paper come out in February uh, with uh, best practices for creating instructional video. So check into his work. Um, so you can go ahead and do that. There is an option if you do have student faces in the videos that you're uploading to add blurs in case you have privacy issues that arise as well. And you can decide when you want to add that. If you need to throw in some music, some audio, um, you can do that as well. You also have the option here to add uh, end cards. And, and actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to um, details. And I'm going to show you about end screens and cards. So um, cards and end screens are really helpful to add an additional layer of interactivity and deep linking so that you can draw students to further content to understand um, the what you want to teach them a little bit more deeply. So, you know, that goes to things like uh, other websites or other videos. So um, if you want to create a card, you can decide what type of card you create. It can be a, a, a video that you want to link to as a follow-up. It can be somebody else's channel. You can't necessarily link to another website unless you are considered what's part of the, uh, the YouTube partner program. And that's going to be if you monetize content and you have like a big driver of advertising, which you're really not going to do uh, through this setup. But if you want to create a card, you can decide, let's say I want to link it to another video. It'll ask me what video. Maybe it's one of my own uh, for another lesson. And I can insert that at any point if I wanted to. So let's say there's something later on that I wanted them to refer back to. I can decide where in the video it's going to be. Cards will last maybe about three seconds or so. Now that's different from an um, end yeah. screen. Yes, go ahead. Before we jump into end screens, a few things about cards. Yes. Uh, I come from an elementary only district. So all of our videos for students are made for kids. So you let me show you what happens when I click, yes, it's made for kids. When I specify the audience, notice the options here for end screen and cards. They're grayed out, they're gone. Mm -hmm. So if you're practicing and you're like, it's not letting me add cards, check to see, is your video made for kids? And then one more thing on the practice test, and, and all of that, it's gonna talk about polling and the ability to poll students or people with cards, that's gone. So 
you, you can't do it anymore. It's not that we're not showing it to you. Polling is out of here. Absolutely. Now, when you do have the option to add end cards, um, there are further um, ways that you can play around with that. Um, you can add options to subscribe to your channel. You can link specifically to videos alone. And very much like in the editor, you can do that there as well. Um, so one more thing I wanted to kind of highlight here in the YouTube studio, which really informed my instruction um, as an educator, was the analytics. So um, under here, and I know that you know studying data isn't always the most popular topic among educators, but I found it to be really helpful because um, this video in particular has picked up quite a bit of traction over the years, um, over 15,000 views. Now, I didn't outwardly go and promote this, so this video in particular has always kind of caught my curiosity as far as what about this made some, uh, you know, allowed it to pick up. But also in particular, it was um, kind of the culmination of some some video some numbers that really informed how I worked forward in this process. Just a little bit of uh, background on this. The first video I did in the flipped classroom model was a very thorough, complete, comprehensive look at um, lesson one of a previous chapter. It was my first foray into it, our first attempt to try it out. I made a great 12 minute long video. And then I gave a 10 question quiz at the end of the week based on the content. And the average score was about a 30. And I was really struggling because I thought that, you know, we had a lot of good information to put it together. So I went back and looked at the analytics. And so one of the things that really stood out to me was this piece right here, audience retention. So this tells you at a certain point at which your audience drops off and stops watching. So if you notice with this video in particular here, I had a pretty significant drop off after the first 10 or 15 seconds. That's not unusual. People will click around with videos and decide within that time frame whether or not they're going to continue or not. And then it somewhat levels off. What I noticed as well, and I'll go ahead and go with engagement here. So you can see some uh, further details here. There's an option here for average view duration. What you're going to notice for the most part is your average view duration is going to be about 40% of the length of the total video. Now for my video, that was 12 minutes long. That meant that on average students were only watching for about four minutes. Well, I went back to the questions on that quiz that the students got right, those three out of 10, and they were all in the first four minutes. So I trimmed it down to four minutes long. And what that meant was, it was more digestible. What that data was telling me was that that was the max that my students could really handle and process information. The next time when we increased, when we uh, adjusted the length of that video to four minutes on average, I noticed the average went up to about eight out of 10, 80%. So I was able to use the analytics to really formulate and, and inform me of what I needed to do to change things up. Another thing that you're going to be able to look at here is where students are viewing from and how they're interacting with it. So for example, um, I can be very specific in looking at how my students are interacting with the video as far as the ways that they're viewing it. Let me go to overview on this video again and go into, let me see if I can, I had it here for engagement. But some of the things that you'll be able to look at if I go to see more, maybe I can, here we go. You'll be able to look at specific things like traffic sources. So where are my students coming in and viewing this from? Um, if it's from the YouTube search, that means they're typing in the content and coming up to your video. 
If it's external, that might be a link that you've provided for them. If it's direct, that means that you've given them the link and they're clicking it there. So external might be if it's embedded in a website or something. Um, this is fascinating too, geography. This tells you, I mean, generally, if this is made for your students, it's not going to vary. But for curiosity, it's really helpful to see where exactly views for your videos are coming from. So when these numbers really started spiking, I got very curious to see where it was coming from. And what I noticed is there ended up being a lot of traffic coming in from North Carolina and Tennessee. So that was really curious for me to see where the uh, the information was coming from. Also, I got some information on dates. So when people were viewing the video. And so these spikes ended up happening. If I look around the, the broader range, there would always be a peak around the beginning of the school year from August to October. And what that tells me is that a lot of teachers that are using this video are using it at the very beginning of the year. But the most interesting thing to me as far as studying the analytics was device type. This will let you know exactly how students are viewing your videos. And one of the things that I noticed with this video in particular is that most of the views came through on a computer. So these are likely being viewed at home or on student uh, devices at, at school. When I started producing my videos for my students, I noticed that about 70% were coming from tablets and mobile devices. And that greatly informed me as far as the access to technology that my students had at home. Because that either meant that students are watching this right before they came to class, or that phone is the only means of internet access that that family has. So that did a lot as far as informing how I decided I wanted my students to interact with that video and formulated the, the process. So um, there's a lot there to, to look at as far as the analytics. You look at that and decide how you want to process that data to help you craft those videos um, for your needs. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into some um, real questions, formatives here, and see where you stand. Question number one, what options in the YouTube Creator Studio allow interactivity to be added to videos? Would that be trimming video length, annotations, music, or cards? What are your thoughts there? Real quick, we're going to make these only about 10 or 15 seconds each. And my bitmojis are super normal in these ones. So no judgment, Rick. So Dana has selected D. Becky, what are your thoughts? Is she correct? Yeah, definitely. The only exception I would say is if that video is made for kids. I keep saying this because I hear all the time, I can't add cards. So you're spot on. Way to go, Dana. You win a free year of Rewatching us. Oh, I got to do a repeat. year of this? Oh, no. No, oh, okay. no she's just going to rewatch this section on right. repeat. Yeah. Question number two Cards have a clickable teaser that appears over the video. Is this true or false? We get a delay in responses. So if you're all typing in the answer, <laughs> you don't see them yet. There we go. Starting to see come through. See how you are correct, correct. Lots of A's, very good everybody. Excellent job. Let's go to our final question here. 
cards can be accessed through an entire video. Hopefully you caught this one. Cards can be accessed throughout an entire video, the entire length of the video. Is that true or false? Let's see if we pick this up. Coming through right there, Chaya. Correct. On average, actually, not, not on average. This is the set length of a card. It's only about three seconds in length. Look at all these bees coming in. Bring them on. All the falses. Very nice, everybody. Whew. Lots of cover. Hey, you know, one of the great things about level two in YouTube is that you're no longer just searching and creating playlists. Now you're starting to create and design. I, you know, if anything has come from this, it is the schadenfreude of the fact that all of our, a lot of our students when they're throwing the, what do you want to be when you grow up question? Um, they, they want to be streamers. They want to be YouTube creators. Well, guess what kids? We stole your dreams. We do it ourselves now. Ha ha ha. Beat you to it. But now it's you. You are the creator. You are the designer of the experience. And YouTube is just one fascinating tool to help you reach out for that. Uh, Becky, let's talk about this badge. Yeah. Earn the badge. Uh, you get to earn your YouTube master badge by creating a video about boot camp. Ooh. Uh, with a custom thumbnail. So don't choose a thumbnail that we chose, like make your own or have some fun with, or sorry, a, a thumbnail from the video and then upload it to YouTube. But also don't just tag global, global gag, tag Devin and I. If I could, that, that's the one thing I forgot to mention that I want to make sure I have a chance to get to is uh, the thumbnail piece. That's a really important component that I think a lot of people overlook. So if I could, I just want to show you that you do have the option in addition to the um, thumbnails that are recommended. If you have like a graphic design mindset, you can actually create your own thumbnail that you'd like. So I'm going to do that right here with this video. Like it's one slide from this. I'm not really, it's not really going to draw a lot of attention or inform our viewers of, of what this video entails. So I'm going to go ahead and upload a custom video that I created um, for this. So it's got uh, some maps. It's got uh, more detail on what this is. And so now that's going to be the thumbnail that is used. I think that's really important because I think sometimes we don't really like the choices that are given to us when they're auto-generated. Um, that was created in Google Slides. I just took a screenshot with a print screen and then brought that in and then added some more detail on the side because it is an older video with different resolutions. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. I definitely wanted to make sure I shared that because that's such an important feature in drawing interest in your video. And it has a, a you know a, a deeper impact than I think most people presume. Yeah. And Devin, actually, would you go back? Because there were a few questions about end screen. Sure. And just uh, chatting for a brief second, because I don't want to get in trouble by going too much over, but the benefits of of adding an end screen, what they do, why we would add them. Um, yeah, finish the coffee. That's a good one. That's it. We're done. It done. <laughs> this is end screen. <laughs> you know, one of the things that are that's helpful about end screen is that you know, it continues the conversation into follow-up content. You know, kids are naturally inquisitive and we've all been caught into those, you know, YouTube rabbit holes where we finish watching a video and then we click to the next one and we click to the next one. That's never a bad thing for students to understand more about a topic. So if you have a specific direction that you'd like to lead them to, if they have more, in, um, you know, questions or they want to learn more about a topic, 
you know, for example, if you have these two video, um, one video and one playlist. So let's say you're doing an entire chapter and each of these videos is a lesson. You can have one video where it's the previous lesson. And then you can have one playlist where it is all of the videos for that lesson that they could go back and reference. So if anything, it just makes it easier for them to go to the, the targeted videos that you want to draw them to more efficiently and more friendly. Um, you know, communications theory is reach out to people where they are. And instead of having students going back to Google classroom or going to a folder or a site that has all those links, they're right there in the video. So it's easier for them to interact with right there at the end. Yep. All right. I think we're getting booted. I think they keep coming up and telling That's us why they that, call this boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it happens. So, uh, awesome. I, if you have questions, reach out to Devin and I will help out. Make sure you follow us at Devin Rossiter and at tech with Becky. Yes. <laughs> I was waiting for that stern look, uh, Rick. Almost yeah. got it. I know that has been our mascot is that uh rapper air horn that for this, this boot camp. It really has. And hey, I'm okay guys, with you guys coming over. YouTube is like crazy important on the, the thing and knowing all that stuff you just shared. It's good. Yeah, That's that was really good stuff um, about the cards and everything. I still have issues with all those things when I upload things to YouTube. Uh, so no, no, no. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. Devin, I'm loving your setup. Like you're going to have to like make a little scene. Of, That's going to be a video unto itself. Yeah, it's you need to type constantly up all evolving. Your equipment and all the stuff you have so we can all be like Devin when we grow I'll up. I'll be honest with you, like outside of the computer itself, this whole setup may be $100 total. The lights were $12 yeah, each and the to, microphone is 50 So You're going you to have to tweet out all of your stuff so we all know what I, to get. I have a free microphone. I mean, it came with my same, old Same. <laughs> same. But um, great job guys so let's let's keep it keep it going um you guys get yeah get your coffee selfies in get your badges um those are very very good all right so ready for books dana and jeff good morning how are you guys i'm good i'm good i'm good good who wants to share their screen first while we're here uh, me jeff first sure how okay. is everybody today good i'm good I, we you know we have Hundreds of people here watching our level two boot camps. That's pretty That's awesome. awesome. It's pretty I'm cool. Pretty, it's pretty cool. All right, I'm gonna step out. You guys, I'm sure you're gonna nail it. <laughs> Jeff texted me at 5 a.m. this morning. He's like, "Are you ready to have some fun?" And I'm like, "I'm still sleeping." <laughs> it was eight o'clock in the morning. It was five o'clock in the morning. Anyway, hey Jeff, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. I am so looking forward to this session. Um, you know, there's so many great things over on Google Books, and I'm looking forward to deep diving it with everybody. And I got to ask if anybody out there has a favorite book or a favorite topic to search for on Google Books, do us a favor, leave it in the comments. We would love to hear from you guys. Dana, you're a book reader, aren't you? Oh my gosh, I read so many books. Um, I go through phases, like I'll do fiction for a solid month and then I'll do nonfiction for a solid month. Books are just so close to my heart. And you know, one of the hardest things that we have is trying to figure out how to get them, where to find them. There's so many things out there. How do you drill in? That's why I'm excited to show off today what Google Books is. If you've heard of Google Books, raise your hand, let us know. If you've never heard of Google Books, raise your hand, let me know. Because I know a couple weeks ago when we were planning this, 
Dana says, hey, let's do Google Books. And I went, what? And then I started looking at this thing and this is awesome. Let me show you guys a couple things here. First of all, you can find everything over at books.google.com. Real simple, real easy to know. And so what I wanna do is I wanna do a search and I'm just gonna do a search for Apple computer and I'm gonna come down here. Now you're gonna notice that there are a lot of options here of things that you can read, but thanks to Google, we can narrow down this search and we can do a lot of things with this. First of all, if I click over here under any books, I can find every single book that has to do or has some kind of metadata in it for Apple books. I can find ones that have previews. I can do Google ebook onlys or I can look at free Google Books. I'm gonna come over here to Google eBooks because this is gonna bring the search in just a little bit more. Now, I can also search specifically for books, magazines, newspapers, and I can also print out or do a search for any time these things were available. So let's say you wanted to do you know, documents on a, on a battle or, or you know, historical events, you can do a search for anything in here. You can also do a search by relevance or by date. I'm going to click down here. I'm going to see, notice here, we've got a lot of different options. Some of these looks like they were just scanned in. Some of these looks like they were actual printed in here. I'm just going to go and find, oh, this one's kind of fun here. I'm a big Steve Jobs buff. So let's just take a look here. Notice when I pull this up, not only does this take me to the book, but it also brings in the search terms and it shows me exactly where these words are. That's pretty cool. I can do a couple things from here. I can move to different pages. I can zoom in. I can zoom out. I can look at one page. I can look at two pages. Now, Dana, you must be thinking, that's really cool, Jeff, but is there more? And I'm going to go, yes, there's absolutely more. Because if I look at the three dots, look at the options that we have here. We can share, meaning I can just copy this. I can send it to somebody. We can embed, I can embed this section, I can embed this book, I can buy, I can find, I can do a lot of different things. But Dana, tell us a little bit about some of the other things that we can do with books. Let's share and uh, if we can drop my screen and bring Dana's screen up here because she's got some things that are so amazing that you guys are gonna wanna love and figure out how to do this on your own screens. Rick, can you bring up my screen? Excellent. All right. So when you come to Google Books, this is all you see. You're like, this is Google Books. In fact, Jeff, I think Google Books is probably the smallest tool on the level two test. Do you think they did that to us on purpose? I think they did that to us on purpose. Yes. But I just, Google Books is such a powerful tool. First of all, it is the largest database in the world of books. And then also it can replace your Goodreads. It can replace your Kindle app. It's got everything. But from a teacher standpoint, it's also got some great things. One of the first things I love about it is it's got a, oh, where's the site? Okay, let's do, somebody said they wanted me to do a book about corgis. So I'm gonna do corgis. Oh, ooh, Pembroke, very nice. So we bring up corgis and you can get the citation. I teach That's computer awesome. science principles and my students have to do a research project with three citations in it. 
we got citations. Wow, look at that. All they have to do is copy them and put them in their resource page, and they're ready to go. That's so pretty really, awesome. As far as the level two test is concerned, that's all you need to do. You need to be able to search a book, and you need to be able to cite a book. But since our tool was so small, I wanted to show an extra tool. So wait, wait, there's more? There's but there's more. There's more? There's more. So with Google Books, this is new Google Books. And as you guys know, they, they do updates and they add the word new to it and they put the old <laughs> ones in classics. So if I go ahead and go to Google Books, I search Google Books. Uh, they have something down here called My Library. Now, My Library has not been updated yet. It's still in the classic version, but I want to show you something pretty cool as a teacher. Um, they have all these shelves you can use, and some of them you can't move around because they've done it for you. But let's say your kids are doing a research project, or let's say you wanted to share a set of books that they could possibly use. You can actually create a shelf. And I'm going to call my shelf Java. And I do have to make sure it's public, not private, but then I'm gonna create a bookshelf. Once my shelf is created, I already had some books searched here, I can add it to my library and pick which shelf it's gonna go on. No, that is so awesome. So I'll add another one over here. Guys, look at how easy this is. <laughs> add it to my library. And then I got a third one over here and I'm gonna add it to my library. Look at how much Java you could have in the morning. This is awesome. <laughs> and then when you refresh, you come down here. And the shelf is completely created for you. All you have to do to share this shelf is to copy the link and send it to your students. And you no. have a whole list of books they need to read or need to research, or maybe they're doing a research project and they're not sure if they're gonna cite that source yet, but they don't wanna lose it great place to put it so, so tell you if you end up buying these books oh i gotta show you another thing are you saying you can take that link and put it directly in google classroom you can put it directly in google classroom and they have all the books they need you can pin it it's a great idea um also just another extra tool because my computer knows who i am it's going to tell me where the book is so if, if, if it's at my nearest library, it's going to pop up. Hey, Clark County Library has this book. Do you want to borrow it? Or it knows I'm a student at College of Southern Nevada. Hey, College of Southern Nevada has this book. Do you want to borrow it? And you can go straight to that library. So it like it replaces OverDrive. I, you, I don't know who uses OverDrive for their libraries, but it replaces Libby. You can do all those things. So those are the highlights. Those uh, are what I wanted to share about Google Books. We went way beyond the scope of the level two test, but I'm hoping at some point you're like, hmm, I'm gonna use Google Books. Dana, we have an encore request here. Could you show that citing feature one more time? Oh, oh yeah, okay. This is awesome, guys, awesome. So search any book. Usually when you search a book, a preview of the book will pop out, so you'll have to close that. But the citing feature is right here. Now they have APA, MLA, and Chicago. I don't know if somebody who's a little smarter than me, I tried to download these, but you need 
uh, special services to open them. So I did not know what they were. So we'll just stick with APA or MLA or Chicago. And then just copy the link and paste it onto a Word doc wherever they have their resumes or their, their bibliography stored. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome, guys. Keep the questions coming. Uh, one more thing here, Dana. Can multiple students see the books? How would you share this out with the class? We talked about Google Classroom. What else can we do here with uh, as far as blurting this out to everybody? Well, we're going to do a little Google app smashing if you actually want to buy the books. If you want to buy the books, um, the first place it's going to send you is to the Google Play Bookstore because they have, just like the Kindle store, they have tons of books. And there's even a Google Play um, reading app. And the Google Play reading app is the only book service that has a translate feature. Whoa. So I got this little book here. We'll go. Um, can we read it now? Think I own it still. Okay, so if you have a book like this, this is the only um, book reader that has this option. Let's see if I can get it here. And then we can go ahead and translate, and it translates it for you. That's awesome. It is pretty awesome. That is that is awesome right there. Uh, so another question here: Does the shelf update as more books are uh, put on? Yep. Uh, you add more books on and then the same link is going to work and the new books will be on there. Nice. Thank you, Stephanie. Awesome. Now, look, what else can we do with this, right? Because I always look at this and go, can we add this to um, a, a Google site? Can we add this stuff to a Google slide? Can we add this stuff to a Google doc? Where Where else can we expand this? Well, anywhere you can put a link, anywhere you can embed a link. You do have to make sure it's public because if you make it private, they won't be able to search it. Good point. Um, but you can, it, it, it does update. So if you add a book, it'll be added on there. If you take off a book because you're no longer using, it'll be on there. And they could share all your other sources with you. Like let's say you're, they're doing a really great project and some other student wants to do the same project. You could just send the whole list of books and say, hey, try some of these. Nice, nice. We love the questions. If you have any questions for us, you can find Dana at? Uh, Dana underscore Cooney. And of course, you can find me over at TeacherCast. We are happy to answer any questions about this. Like Dana said, it's a little feature on the on the level two test, but there's so many awesome possibilities. It's a huge tool, yeah. It's a huge tool. Hashtag huge tool. All right, what else can we do here? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty much wrapped up here. Okay, cool. If there's any questions, let us know. Rick, this is an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. I, I, I hadn't, I've had a little experience with books, but now that you've shown me that, I think I'm just going to chuck my Kindle. I mean, it's done, right? What done. would be the point of having it anymore? Especially with that translate uh, feature. Right? Like right? It doesn't even have good games. Why, why am I hanging on to it? Um, we have a lot of questions about like copyright issues um, and that kind of stuff. And you definitely want to make sure um, like you people are asking about like sharing a link to purchase books. Like not all the books are going to be free um, and it's going to be based on like the user or um, like some, and some plenty of people have free books out there. Um, what is that project? Uh, the Gutenberg project has tons of stuff. Um, posted on there for free but yet you do want to be careful with that with like copyright stuff um if you buy a book and you can guys can answer this but if you buy a book it's just for you right 
Yes, if you buy a book, it's just for you. But this is the largest stock of commonplace books. And any book that's commonplace will be free in a PDF version. And you will be Mm -hmm. be able to download it from Google Books. Um, Now, you can still get it in the Google Play version, the ebook version. But they usually charge about 99 cents just for the fact that they put it in that format for you. So here's a question that I'm seeing here, and that is about the account. Obviously, all of this stuff is based off of the account that we're in. That's what's keeping our bookmarks and stuff. Dana, do you recommend that we do all of this organizing, searching, finding in our school account or on our personal account? And do you know if there's any difference between feature sets and whatnots? Because obviously, if we see a book we want to buy, we don't accidentally want to be on our school accounts. Uh, yeah, you got a good point there. I actually never thought about that. Um, I usually tend to keep school things in my school account and personal things in my personal account. Mm-hmm. Are they transferable? I know this, this no. is the time of year where people are moving back. And this is also where that question's coming from. Like, you know, if you're teaching fourth grade in this district and next year you're teaching fourth grade in that district, it's uh, not, this is not a Google takeout kind of an item. I don't yeah. think it is. Look at me, so I'm causing that, problems. If you're, if you're buying a collection of Harry Potter, you might want to buy it on your personal account. Um, and if you buy that book, you're not going to share that book with your student because that would be copyright. But right. the bookshelf sure. doesn't necessarily mean you bought the book. It just might be a collection of books. And then they could go get it in their library. You don't need any, you don't need all this for the level two, by the way. It's no, not going to ask you about copyright or anything. No, no, no. You're just going this is all frosting. No, on you you need this if you've got six year old triplets and you want to keep them busy for the summer. That's all yeah, of this yeah, is yeah. for. Right. Yeah, you gotta it. like, but you do have to know how to like favorite it and cite it and all that stuff. But this is all just blend. Yeah, so it blinked. Sorry. So there, you see right there, uh, there, <laughs> how you can get your books master badge, um, and then don't forget to tag uh, Global GEG. Um, at Dana underscore, say your last name, Dana. Cooney. Cooney, or at teacher, man. Teacher cast. Teacher cast. <laughs> Woof. I have context in y'all. Um. Anyway, let's keep this going, eh? All we right. Scholar up. Scholar. Ooh, good job, Dana. Good job, Jeff. That was great. Thank y'all. That was wonderful. Yeah. Jeff. Jeff. I need Jeff's coffee. Right. Whatever that energy. Coffee was, that's the coffee I need. For sure. That's purchased. All right. So who we got next? Looks like we got, is it Chris and Leslie? Yes. Hey. Hello. All right. I'm going to step off, let you ladies do it. Cool. Chris, can you share your screen? Um, I am. Leslie's going to share hers first for slides, and then I'll be doing a demo. So it'll be both of us. Leslie, first, please. Okay. Okay. Leslie, share your screen then. Oh gosh, beach ball. Hold on. <laughs> well, while we have this moment right here, don't forget if you're doing this for a grad credit or anything, make sure you get your pictures and don't forget to go after those badges because they are super cool. Have fun. All right. All right. Okay, Good everybody. morning, everybody. Good morning, Global GEG. Um, So welcome to Scholarly Searching with Google Scholar. Um, I am Leslie Clark. I am the 
uh, one of the leaders of Google Educator Group New Mexico. I am a Google certified trainer and also a COSIN certified education technology leader. And I'm going to let Chris introduce herself. All right. I'm Chris Armijo. I'm the Education Technology Coordinator for Moriarty Edgewood Schools in New Mexico. I'm also a co-leader of, of GEG New Mexico with Leslie, and I, um, I, I'm a Google Certified Trainer and New Mexico's first Google Certified Innovator in the London 19 cohort. So Leslie, is your, I'm not sure if your screen. Okay, it says it's sharing, but I can see on YouTube it's black, so I'm gonna stop sharing. Okay. Rick, um, throw the slides up there because I don't know what's happening. Uh, let me, that'll work. There we go. Uh, okay, so, okay, go ahead and go to the next slide if you would, please. We are going to be looking at scholars, scholarly searching, and um, go ahead and go up two more slides. Sorry about that, guys. So what is Google Scholar? Google Scholar absolutely saved mine and Chris's lives when we were in grad school. Um, it is a tool provided by Google. It is a specialized search engine that allows you to search for academic literature, such as journal articles, um, professional uh, article publications, the kinds of resources you would be expected to use for your research in an academic setting. And it searches across multitudes of databases. Um, so it's makes it really makes finding research um, resources extremely simple. So I'm going to hand it over to Chris and she's going to do a demonstration and then we'll come back to the slides for review and recap. All right, so this is what Google Scholar looks like. You can see that it looks very much like the Google search with the big scholar at the end of it. Um, you get here by going to scholar.google.com. And um, from, from this search, you have the option of toggling between either articles like scholarly academic articles and, and um, journal, journal articles, that kind of thing. Or you can also switch to case law and then you get some more filters there. So we're going to stick with articles at first. And I'm going to do a search on, I'm going to do a search on effective, oh, if I could spell, effective classroom. Spelling is important in your search terminology. <laughs> oh, it, it is, although Google's pretty amazing. Sometimes it can still figure it out. So we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna do effective classroom technology integration, and you'll see all these things come up. So these definitely look different than searches would in your regular Google search. And I, I wanna point out a few different things that are happening here. Um, first of all, you'll notice off to the side, a lot of these say that they're PDFs, and then there will probably be some that come up that don't say PDF, which um, will, uh, this particular page, everything did, but I'll find some that don't care in a moment um, so that you can see the difference. So the other, you have the authors, and if you click on the author's name, I'll just click on one real quick, then it'll come up with their whole profile and you'll see all kinds of different things that have been published by that author. So that can be really helpful if you're looking for related articles and things like that. Um, you also see where it was published on the instance that you're looking at. And then 
down below, there's several different things here. You have a star, and we'll talk about the star in a moment. That's how you can add things to your library. So there are some similarities that you'll find between what you just heard about in books and what you can do now with these scholarly articles. It's similar anyway. There's also the quotation marks here. This will let you get your citation, and we'll um, I'll show an example of that in a moment. It also um, shows you how many times it's been cited and cataloged in the Google search as well. So if you click on that, um, you can see all these other articles that cited the article that you're looking at. That can really help um, kind of give some more credibility to what you're looking at to see that other people are, are using that and, and um, that kind of thing. You can also click on related articles. And then this one has 11 versions. So it, that means it's published in 11 different places. And that can be helpful sometimes because um, if the one that you're looking at right now, you're not able to get and bring into, you know, pull it up on your screen or whatever, which I'll, I'll try to find an example of one here in a moment, um, then uh, this will, um, give you other instances of it. So you can go see if you're able to pull it up somewhere else. Off to the left-hand side, you can do some, um, some sorting. You can sort by relevance or sort by publish date. So we can change that if we wanted. And then also, let's say that I wanted this research that I'm looking at to be really, really current. So I'm going to put a date, a custom date range, and I want it to be anything from 2018 to 2020. And that will change my results a little bit. There we go. And so now we have uh, a little bit different results here. And we're going to look at a couple of these. So on this, this one, say it, it shows that it's going to be a PDF. So if I click on that one, it this particular one looks like it's going to open right into the PDF. So if I needed to download this or anything like that, I could absolutely get that one just by coming over to the download button here. And so that one takes you directly in. And then let's look at this next one. It's also PDF, but this one is taking us into another database. This is the ERIC database. And usually on ERIC, you can still get the PDF. So over on the right-hand side, I, can, I, I have an area where I can download the full text. So if I click there, then I can get that PDF and I'm still able to download it. So that's helpful. Let me go back to this real quick, close that one, oops. Okay, and then this next one, you'll notice it doesn't have a PDF off to the side. So let's see what happens if we click that one. This one is taking us into a different, um, a different database where, where things are being stored. And for this one, I might be able to see like the abstract and read a little bit about it. But if I decide that I actually want to get this article, then I'm going to have to get access. So let's see what happens there. And this one, this is very important to know about Google Scholar. Just because you have all these wonderful resources come up in the search, it doesn't mean that they're free. So if I wanted this one, I would actually have to purchase that PDF for $24.95. So that's an important thing to keep in mind for sure. All right, so the next thing I wanna show you 
is we're actually going to put these three that I opened up here into my library. And I'll just do that by clicking on the star. It's adding them to my library. And then there's a couple different ways I can get to my library. It's up here on the right hand side, my library. I can also access it from the left hand side there. So I'm just going to go to my library. And um, now these three articles are here. That's all I have in the library on this particular account. But I can also, let's say I'm going to be doing a ton of research on different topics. This was the case for me when I was going to grad school. Um, if I click and select these three articles, I can give them a label. That way I can kind of organize them and keep my research managed nicely. So I'm just going to click um, on the label up here and then create a new label. And we'll call this technology integration and create. And then you'll see off to the side here, that label's been added. I'm gonna pull over my other account real quick, just so that you can see, once you have different labels set up in your library, then you can easily um, sort by those labels and, and find what you're looking for very easy in that situation. So, um, one more thing back in the, oops, let me go back just to the main search real quick. So if I'm in the main search and let's say I'm, I'm looking for this um, effective classroom technology integration uh, and I want the latest research, I can also come over here on the left hand side and create an alert. So anytime those um, a, a new article is published with the, that keyword, I can create this alert and it'll send an, an message to my email so that I know to come check it out. And that's basically it in a nutshell. Like, like, um, like Leslie said, it saved me in grad, grad school for sure. We had that shared experience we were talking about. Sometimes your library at the university the search just didn't ever seem to be as powerful at my university as the Google search. And so a lot of times I would do my initial search in Google because Google does it better. And then um, when I'd find an article, I take the exact title over and stick it in my search on the university's library to get the free versions there. And, and that worked out better than searching it in the library for sure. So anyway, um, I think I kind of hit the main things there. So, oh, no, 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 I didn't. There is one thing I forgot. Let me do one more thing before we move on. I want to show you that citation piece. So if I was using this in my writing, I could click on these, um, quotation marks, and it's going to bring up five different styles here. And so in my university, we used APA. So I can just um, control C, copy that, and then go into a reference document and paste it. Um, it doesn't, it, it does keep like the uh, italics, but you might have to adjust the ind indentations and everything appropriate to that style, but, but it's all there. And I think that that's it. And Leslie, now if we go back to the slides, she'll Actually, be able. Hang on just a second, Chris. Oh, okay. Too late. That's okay. Nope, we're back. Chris, go okay. back into Scholar because one thing I do want to show, and um, this is kind okay. of material, but I think it's important. If you'll go to your menu bar. Um, here. Bar yep. Left, yep. And then settings. Settings. If you will check the box um, about the third section down where it says where results open and it will open your results in a new browser window. Sometimes that's really helpful. So you don't have to keep going back to your search results every single time. 
Um, right. I, wouldn't do it. I wish I had the option to open it into a tab instead, but um, sometimes just opening it in a new window is extremely helpful. Nice, very cool. I didn't even know that. So thanks for that tip, Leslie, perfect. Sure. Very good. Okay, so we can go back to our slides and we'll just do a quick review and recap. So once Google Scholar has returned your search results, you can over on the left sort by um, the recent, how recent the, public, the publication has been um, published, or you can sort by the relevance related to your search terminology or by date. And you can turn on and off whether you wanna see patents and citations in your search results. And then once you get your search results, each one has a few things to be aware of. As Chris said, um, first over on the right is gonna be the link to the document if it's available. Um, if it's not, you have some options. Um, so second, underneath each search result, you have the ability to see all of the people who have cited that result. Um, and then you can click on related articles. And then again, it has the versions, has different places where it's located where you can check to see if you can possibly access the resource there. And then the third one that we didn't get to show you because neither of us is actually linked to a university right now is Chris did mention that um, searching here and then going back to your university library. Some universities do link their libraries to Google Scholar. So if they have done that and you are on campus on the school network or there is a procedure you can go through to be able to access it off campus, then that um, number three on this slide, your library link will show up on the right as well. Um, I chose this one from Lamar University because that's where I uh, most recently did grad work. But um, sometimes they'll look like this. Sometimes they'll look more like hashtags. Like I think standards is find it and the at sign and then Stanford. So um, you can look for those library links as well if you are associated with the university. If you are having trouble finding the answers you're looking for, first of all, re remember that any question worth its salt is gonna require multiple searches to find the full complete answer. But if you are really struggling, you can adjust the terminology um, and some of the scholar help documents recommend reading in, um, reading maybe reading a little bit of the article to see what terminology that article uses and then try that terminology to search. Um, you can check to see who the author of the publication has um, referenced in their works cited or the bibliography pages in the event that what you're finding is close but not quite there. And then um, once again, you can check the cited by who all has cited that particular publication and you can click the related articles. Um, just a few tricks. I'm not going to go a whole lot into advanced searching because you're about to get a big dose on Google advanced search. Um, but this one is very similar. If you go into the advanced search in Google Scholar, you can widen or narrow the cert, your search results um, in your publications based on um, how you fill in these fields. So just know that that's there um, and you'll how what you're going to learn here in a minute about Google search is very similar to what you would use in Scholar advanced searching. And then again, save everything, especially if you're working on an ongoing project to your library by clicking the star and it'll put it in your library, which will be over on the right hand part of the screen. And then the labels work very similarly to the way they work in Gmail and the way they work in contacts. Um, so you can organize. When I was in grad school, I order, I organized them by course number so that I knew which, um, um, which publications I used for each course. And then the citations, as Chris said, um, it only gives you the text, but it gives you the text in five different styles. So you just have to copy it, paste it into your citations page, references page, um, and then you may have to tweak the um, indenting in order to meet those indentation uh, requirements for your style guide. 
And then you can keep up to date, whether you are doing ongoing research or you just want to keep uh, up to date with the latest research on topics that are important to you by creating those alerts so that Google Scholar will email you every time they get access to a, another publication that meets your search parameters. Cool. I'm going to let Chris tell you about how to earn your Scholar Master Badge. All right. So if you are collecting badges and who isn't collecting badges, uh, if you want to get your Scholar Master Badge, we would like for you, please, to use Scholar to locate an article about a topic of your choice that is available as a PDF. Add the article to your library with the label, I'm a Scholar Master, and then up, upload a screenshot to social media. And remember to tag Global GEG and hashtag Google Scholar, and then share the link of your post on the Level 2 Challenge form at bit.ly, and it's Global GEG Level 2, and it is case sensitive. So we can maybe get that into the chat for you as well. And um, yeah, that's about it. I did see some questions kind of coming through, one of them about um, not getting the footnote. And when you do the citations from Google Scholar, it is not going to footnote your document. It's a little bit different when you're in Google Docs and you're actually working on a document and you use the Explore tool to get your citations, it puts it in as a footnote. But in Scholar, it um, it assumes that you're you'll be doing like a reference page on a on a um, academic paper, and so it's just a little bit different. But that's it. Yeah. Any other questions that we missed, Rick? Not not that I saw. Um, right. I have I've recently finished another master's, and I use Google Scholar backwards from the way you described it. What I would do is I would find it on my university's library. And then I would go to Google Scholar for the citation because Google Scholar has the most recent version of APA. Like in the middle of this last master's program, they went from APA 8 to APA 9. And Google Scholar has APA 9. Like they, as soon as APA 9 came out, boom, they had it exactly. Nice. As, nice. As That's good to know too. Citation. Yeah, it was. Good to know. Like I, I said, Google does it better. <laughs> I got to it before my professors. So at first they were dinging me on a couple things. And then when nine came out, I went, oh, oh. So anyway, <laughs> that, that was nice. great. And that covered a lot. Very Google good. Scholar is a part of the exam. So thank you very much. Yeah, very good. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to bring up, it uh, looks like Patrick and Rachel. And they're going to talk about searching. There you are. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I lost you for a second. Who was going to share their screen first? I'm going to share my screen first. Awesome sauce. Give me one second here. Well, I'm going to back out. You all have fun. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So Patrick and I today are going to talk about Google search and some of those tools and tips that you need for your level two exam. So I guess we should first start off by introducing ourselves. I'm Rachel Johnson. Um, I am a program lead for science and information technology in a very, very large high school in Oakville, Ontario, Canada. And um, I'm a Google certified trainer. And I'm Patrick Hausman. I am in Northern Virginia. I am supervisor of instructional technology as well as an instructional technology coach. Um, I've been in this for about 10 years. And in that time, I have achieved 
Google certified innovator and trainer, as well as a range of other badges and things. If you reach, if you saw level one, you saw some of those badges. So if not, you can go back to day one, I should have said, and check those out and let me know if you're trying to get to any of those. And anybody that's part of this boot camp would be happy to help on those things. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's jump right into search. So we're going to start off with some of the more sort of advanced search filters that you can do for Google search. Um, so I'm just going to jump into a Google search window here. Um, to access that, it's just google.com or search.google.com. And we're going to do a Google search for remote learning. I've already done this here before, so I'm just going to cheat and pick that one and pull that one up. All right. So the first thing we notice, um, we get a ton of results, right? It's 982 billion results that come up in your Google search. So being able to narrow down your search and really sort of pinpoint the information you're looking for is so useful to really help you save time. When you look along the top taskbar here, you can start narrowing your search down for specific things. So you can click on just images, and then that's going to bring up just all the images that are related to your search term. You can also pick things like news, um, and that's going to pick up all of the news articles that are related to that search. So you can see the number of results come down quite drastically as you start just narrowing your search down using these sort of preset filters here. Um, you could do the same for videos as well. So there's a whole bunch of different ones up at the top here. You can even do shopping. And if you click on the more tab, you can do maps. You can do books at like, um, Jeff and Dana showed you earlier, you can search for flights or finance. So lots of really sort of neat ways to initially start to narrow down your search. Now, the other thing I want to show you here is the tools. And the tools are so handy and so useful. And the kind of tools that you get for Google search really kind of depend on what you've um, chosen at that top bar there. So I'm just going to click on the tools. And under all search, when you click on the tools, you get a couple of extra ways to start to narrow down your searches. So you can pick any time. And if you click on that one and the drop down menu, you can actually then narrow down your search to a specific time frame. So if you're looking for remote learning resources, but you only want things that have been posted in the past month, you can pick that. And then that's going to narrow down and pick up only those articles that have been posted in the past month. Um, for all, there's also this all results here. So you can look at all results or verbatim. And anytime you want to clear any of these conditions, you can just come over here and click on the clear button. So those um, different things within tools, they actually change depending on what type of search you're doing as well. So if you click on images and then you go to tools, it actually becomes really powerful because then you can search for images of a specific size. So you can pick large, medium, or icon-sized images. You can go to color. 
So you can pick any color. You can pick from the color palette here. You can pick black and white, but the one I really, really love is transparent. And when you pick that one and you go to any of these images and click on them, it will only bring up those images that have the transparent background. So if you're using images in your slides or on a website and you don't want the background there, you wanna search for transparent images. And that is really cool. It's a nice little time saver. Um, another big one here is the usage rights. So by default, the Google search does um, not filtered by license, but you can come in here and start to narrow down your search for those Creative Commons licensing. So things like labeled with reuse with modification or labeled with reuse, um, or you could do the non-commercial reuse with modification or just the non-commercial reuse. So this is a really nice one to show students because then they can go in and search for those images, like let's choose labeled for reuse with modification. And all of these images are okay to use and you don't have to worry about the copyright. So um, it is super, super useful to do that kind of search. You can also look for types. So you can go clip art, line drawing, GIF, and then you can also narrow it down versus um, for a specific sort of time frame as well. So those are all really nice features. Um, I'll just show you a couple more in news. If you click on the news and then click on tools, you can search for either all news or you can search for blogs. So that's kind of neat that you can um, narrow it down to just specific blog posts if that's what you're looking for. You can also, again, do this custom time range. That one's sort of pretty much a staple for any of the Google searches. And then you can sort either by relevance or by date. Um, and then the last one in videos, again, you get slightly different um, choices here depending on um, this search. So you can look for duration. And what I really like about this is, you know, if you are looking for a video to use with your class and you want to keep it down to that four minute time frame, you can actually come in and search for duration. So you can look for those videos that are between zero and four minutes. You can also, again, do this custom time range. You can search by quality. You can look for videos that are specifically closed captioned or not. And then you can also narrow down in this one by source. So you could go and do your search through YouTube as well. So what I recommend you do when you come in here is just click on each of these and play around with those tools and see what each one does because they all have a little bit um, of a nuance. The other thing I wanted to show you in here is the settings panel. So um, a couple of things in here, you can go in here and set up some different things with your search settings. So you can, um, this is where you can turn on your safe search. So um, if you wanna block any sort of inappropriate or explicit images from your search, this is where you would turn that on. 
You can also decide how many search results you get per page. Um, and so there's a few other different kind of um, filters that you can do within there. And then the other couple things in here is languages. You can change the language that you're searching in as well. Um, you can also access the advanced search from this section here. And so that's sort of the next thing we wanted to go and take a look at is the advanced search. There are actually two different advanced searches depending on if you're doing an all search or if you're just doing an image search. And so to access that, um, if you're under all, you can go to your settings and then you click on advanced search. And so that's gonna bring you into this page where you can start to like really narrow down your searches. So you can do things like you can look up all of the words, you can look up an exact word or phrase, you can um, do and look up specific number ranges, you can exclude words in your search, um, and then you can come down here and narrow it down by language, region. So, so many different ways that you can really narrow down your search in terms of an advanced search itself. And then if you're back in um, an images search, and then you go click on the settings and go to advanced search, it's gonna take you into the advanced image, image search. So a lot of the same tools that you get with the, uh, with the toolbar bar in the image search, you also get here, but um, you get things like, again, you can search for exact words, uh, you can exclude words from your search, you can look up image sizes. So this is kind of nice because on this page, you can actually look for some specific, um, sizes in here. You can also look up aspect ratios. So if you're looking for a square image or a wide one, you can do that as well. Um, again, you've got the colors, the type of image. So um, this just sort of takes it a little bit more to the extreme if you're looking for that advanced search. And then the last thing that I wanna show you guys are Google search operators. These are amazing and they can really help you save time so that you don't necessarily need to go into that advanced search panel if you know what the search operator is and you know how you want to narrow down your search right away. So I've got a really nice infographic here to show you some of the more common ones, but there are a lot more than what I've listed here. Um, and so we've got some links on this page for you to go and take a look at those. But I just wanted to quickly show you, just being aware of the time, a couple of these and how they work. So if we go back into our search panel, and I'm gonna go back into all results. You can see if I search remote learning, I get uh, 1.37 trillion results, okay? Now, if I wanted to narrow that down and make sure that I matched this term exactly, I can just stick quotation marks around that whole term. So what that's telling Google to do is that it only, 
is going to pick out those uh, search results that have exactly remote learning. If it didn't have the quotation marks, then what Google is doing is it's picking up every article that has remote or learning or both. So if we do this search just with the quotation marks, you can see that we're now down to 14.7 billion results. So, you know, it's still a lot of results, but it really helps to narrow down some of that right away. Um, and then another one that I really like is site. So if you use the word site, you do a colon, and then you know that you want to say search on Twitter for all of the different resources that have to do with remote learning that other educators have posted. You can just put in site colon twitter.com. And if you hit enter, then it brings up 239,000 results. And these are all results where people have mentioned remote learning on Twitter specifically. So you can see all the sites here all say Twitter. And so it's really, really neat um, and a really great way to start to uh, narrow down those searches. All right. Um, does searching an incognito window change anything? I saw that question pop up. Just to answer that, um, it, it really doesn't change anything. You can use all of the different search um, functions that I've shown you here. The only thing it does change is it doesn't remember your search history. So as, um, as you probably saw at the beginning, you would have seen that my search would have popped up with remote learning because I've searched for it before. But in incognito mode, you won't see that. All right, so um, I'm gonna pass it over to Pat now, who's gonna tell you a little bit more about some of the other different uh, Google search tools. Awesome, if we can swap to my screen and thank you, Rachel, for all the good stuff. I always learn different things, even as much as I've been around Google, going through different things like this, I love the little things I still pick up. So one of the things that's kind of a lesser known Google tool that you may not have used much is Google Trends and it's trends.google.com. And there is a GIF on the slide deck. And again, the slide deck will come out when we finish up today. So you'll be able to see that GIF kind of run through. But in a very quick sense, Google Trends does exactly what it says on your screen. It lets you explore what the world is searching. So what are the most common things happening? And then you can, as you see down here, you can actually start to compare some of them. So for instance, if I touch on football, and I search that, I could then type soccer in the other side. And I can see those two things then come out on my screen and I can adjust times. I can check United States versus other countries. I can even see different states all the way down through and get a sense of kind of how that search is happening and how it's trending. Other things that you wanna look at, and I'll go ahead and go back here quickly, is in this three line menu at the top, you have your homepage, which is what you're on now. You also have Explore, which is going to be kind of basically jumping you into the search page. And you can see some of the common things that are happening right now. No surprise, coronavirus is the number one search still. 
followed by two more things tied to that. And Google Classroom has also had a big rise with remote learning. All of those things make sense as far as trends at this point. You also have trending searches, which is going to show you by day what are the biggest things being searched. And if I come down from there, the last one I'll touch on is the year in search. And these are really cool videos, if nothing else, to see what were the huge things searched for in different years. And you'll notice there's a little menu up here. I can actually go all the way back to 2006. And there's a few years you see there unavailable, but you could check and see what was a search trend five, 10 years ago and how does that compare to today? So Google Trends just gives you a really nice way to kind of check and see what are different things that are really popular right now? What are the big things being searched? And then different things you can go down through and do as far as look at, compare things. And you can even jump down and subscribe to various trends. So there's a lot you can do in there and we don't necessarily have time to cover it all, but definitely something to check out as one of those kind of lesser known tools. Another one and one of the last things I'll touch on is Google News. And this is another one that's Usually people may see, especially if you have an Android phone, it's gonna pop up for you fairly well. But as you look at Google News, this is a fully customizable interface for your news. So you can see top stories. The for you is going to try and customize stories to things that you have clicked on, things that you have read. You can also then, as you click on stories, actually follow stories. And that's going to obviously populate this following area, but it's also gonna customize that for you. And then as you come down through, you can see, you can save searches, you can go into COVID-19 specific things, and then you have different headings for the various different kinds of news that you can access. And at the very bottom here, you can see we get into the fact that there is an iOS app, there is an Android app as well. So there's a bunch of different things you can get into in the news. But one of the big things is that you can fully customize all the different parts you see. For instance, the weather that you see on the side, you can let it know your location so it'll customize the weather. That'll also give you some local news stories. You can also put a zip code in if you don't want it to know kind of what that is as far as your lo precise location. But it gives you a lot of options to customize that news feed. And I'm assuming a lot of you probably have different news feeds already, but know that Google News is an option out there for you and one that you can fully customize. And at the very top of the screen, you're going to be able to search and really do kind of some advanced searching through that top menu to really kind of drill down through and get to the things you want. And one of the biggest things I can say, and you can see it on the slide here, anytime you see a search bar across the land of Google that has that little drop down on the right hand side, use that dropdown to really quickly and easily get to some things that you can search for and narrow down what you're getting back in results. It's a really quick and easy way to do some advanced searching without knowing a ton of those extra skills on top of it. And I know I am basically out of time, but I'm gonna take one more second to highlight one slide that we put in that just has some bonus cool stuff on it. Mm -hmm. One of those is the different instant searches you can do within Google, such as like flipping a coin, if you just type in flip a coin, you'll get a coin that comes up and be able to roll that. One of the ones our teachers use a lot is timers. If you type in 15 minute timer, because you're doing a rotation based model, it'll automatically come up, start counting down for you and even have an alarm. A lot of our teachers use that one. And other things like just a random number spinner, things, all of these different things that you'll see linked in the slide deck, 
there's probably on the low end, there's probably 50 different instant searches you can do. You can search for an image via an image. So if kids say, well, I got this image from Google and most of us know none of those Google or none of those images that come in a Google search actually should be cited as Google. You can use this to have them trace that back. So a lot of cool things in there that you can really dive into. And if you want to super geek out, there are actually entire classes and courses that goes super in depth with Google search. So a ton of different things you can do to really dive in and go way beyond that basic level. And really to be clear beyond what you would need for level two, you need to know where these different things exist and what they do and have a kind of basic knowledge of how they work, but you're not going to need to take a course in search to be able to pass what you need to for level two. And as we wrap up here, Rachel, do you want to kind of explain the search challenge for everybody? Yeah, sure. So the Google search challenge, um, what we are asking you guys to do to get your search badge is to go and use some of the advanced search features or sorry, filters and refine a search. So we want to see a screenshot of your search. And if you could tag both myself um, at Dr. Underscore R underscore Johnson and uh, Patrick at P House EDU, as well as at Global GEG with your image, um, that would be awesome. Absolutely. We look forward to seeing some of the awesome stuff you're able to find. And yeah. if you have more tips and tricks to share those out too. We always love to learn with everybody and keep pushing it forward. Yeah. And with that, Rick, I think we are back to you. Sounds good. That was some, that was a lot of stuff. And I love all the stuff that you put on the slide deck. And there've been people asking, yes, we will be sharing out the slide deck. In fact, it will be on the global GEG website in an area called boot camp. So you can find all of our resources there, but awesome job. You two, that was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was abrupt. I, all right, let's bring up uh, Becky and Jared now, who are going to tell us all about <laughs> Maps and Earth. Look at how fancy <laughs> look. I like it. Um, yeah. Hey, Jared, are you are you with us? You're on mute. Maybe this is an intentional mute. It might Probably be. be it might be because we didn't. I didn't know we were dressing up until like three minutes ago. Right. And um, so then I heard Jared had on a cool hat and I thought it was time to get dressed up, uh, but yeah, I did he, not. <laughs> Go ahead. He, he looks beach-like uh, with this stuff on, but uh, yeah, when, whenever <laughs> Jared uh, looks back at us, oh, we lost him. He, oh, his Wi-Fi went down. Of course it did. Well, because, you know, it happens. Um, yeah. So hello again, everybody. I am Becky. Uh, at Tech with Becky uh, on Twitter. So follow me while we're waiting for Jared. Let's get our coffee selfie in case you missed it earlier and you want that awesome coffee badge, which is the Fueled by Coffee. Grab your selfie. Uh, yeah, I have no coffee, but mm. you do. So that looks good. That, it that does. Yeah, glass number two. Um, so I, I'm gonna get us going. Jared, the, the best part about all of this is that Jared is actually our maps and earth guru mm -hmm. and I'm his sidekick. So the fact that you're all stuck with me, it's let's gonna be do great. it. I'm so excited. Um, Should I share your screen? 
let's yeah let's let's go for this share screen moment here let's just do it when when jared pops on i'll throw him right in with you okay yeah and the best is i actually i'm i'm gonna do something that I'm, I'm gonna move things around because i was like i said i was planning on being a sidekick so let me there we go we got this up i've got this running okay i'm gonna Looking start good. yeah i'm gonna start with this because the best part is that Jared really did leave me. And we initially chose these uh, because he was he was leaving me to die is what his, his quote back. was. He's back. <laughs> Woohoo! Sorry, I had internet issues. Ooh, okay. Do you, want, <laughs> do you want to share your screen or do you want me to? Sorry, everyone. I'm sure you're loving this. I am. This is my favorite <laughs> part so far. Oh, the technology issues. Where, where, where are we? And 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 we we made it really far. I shared that I'm your sidekick. We're talking about Google Maps and Google Earth. We took some selfies. Um, I shared my name. They've seen me probably more than they want to. So you can share your name and information. Well, good. All right. Well, I I came prepared as 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 it looks like you did as well. So. Um, I'm ready to go on vacation. I got my fancy hat. I got my cooling towel. I have my sunblock. And uh, I'm Jared Johnson. I'm a digital learning coach uh, in South Carolina at a middle school called Gilbert Middle School. And uh, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> you got your cup of coffee. I have my beer. Because if you're going to travel the world, you should try the different kinds of beer, right? You keep throwing me off. I didn't know we were adding beer to this. <laughs> I like it. You like it? Okay, good. <laughs> well, um, so you already introduced yourself? I'm sorry. I, my internet went out and I'm all, I'm all discombobulated at the moment. You're good. Okay. <laughs> good, because... I'm obviously have vacation lined on. All right, so <laughs> to get started, so we're doing my maps and uh, Google Earth and two very different products, um, but two very powerful products that you can use in your classroom. So my maps is a really neat thing. It's a little bit different than Google Maps. So Google Maps, you know, you can look up restaurants, you can get GPS, you can do all that kind of stuff. Where my maps is you create your own custom maps. And so I have used it uh, in social studies classes, uh, in English classes, different places like that where students can create their own custom maps uh, really easy, really simply. They can collaborate with each other on it and then they can share it out. Um, so how do you get to my maps? Well, Easy, it's already in Google Drive. So in Google Drive, what you wanna do is just click the, the new button as uh, you're used to doing already. And let's hope my computer will cooperate with me here. And maybe, there we go. And so it'll be under more. So if you go to more, And then you'll want to choose my maps when it when it shows up. Maybe. 
Maybe. It's coming. Your computer went on vacation without us. Um, Apparently, it saw me, you know, saw me in my hat and my little cooling towel here and decided, hey, I don't have to work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It, it did. Um, okay, it is, it is Monday. I know it's Monday. Maybe it's just got a bad case of the Mondays, because I swear when I practiced this all last night, it worked just fine. <laughs> but... If we need to share my screen, we can. Hmm. And well, yeah. Well, all right. So let's. Do Nothing's do better anymore. than being live and your computer just decides it's done for. I know, and the and the bet and the worst part is is the fact that we're the last we're the last ones, and so you know everybody's hung around here to the end, and then this is the show they're getting. So, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, at least we look good, right? I like your hat. I like my hat. Uh, you know, it's a lemon. <laughs> um, I, I, it is coffee. I did see someone posted in the chat. Am I really drinking coffee? Yeah, yeah, it's coffee. It's coffee o'clock for the next ten hours. Yes, um, I got. I have my coffee here, and then I have my my bag of coffee. So we we might want to come back to my. Do, would you want to give it another shot? Let's give it like a few more seconds, and then um, yeah. as your sidekick, I'm supposed to be filling the time when this happens. Well, what we can do. All right, let's. Let's skip ahead to Google Earth while while my drive seems to be. Oh, maybe it's going to do something since my Google Drive is acting funny. Well, let me switch tabs to Google Earth. Let's hope Google Earth is working. It says it's at 100%. So we'll skip ahead to Google Earth. All right. So Google Earth is really cool. So we'll go back to my maps. Um, but Google Earth is really cool. So everybody's pretty familiar with um, Google Earth. If you've never played around with it, you definitely want to because it's got some really great features. And now it operates within your web browser. So you just go to google.com earth and you can open up Google Earth. And so when you open it up, it looks like this. And just to kind of go over some of the of the features on the screen here. So in the bottom left-hand corner, you'll notice there is a map dot. dot. So that's going to allow you to add place marks on your screen. So if you go somewhere, um, you want to add a place mark to come back to it, you can do that there. You have the, the little line. This allows you to like maybe map out like where to go if you're giving directions on a street corner. Take a right here, left there. You can add and draw lines or shapes, especially shapes if you want to uh, identify like a city block. Then on the right-hand side over here, you have the earth. So when you are somewhere on a tour and you want to return back to this view here, the globe, you would just click on the, the earth here in the lower right-hand corner. It'll take you right back to this view. Um, you have the target. The target will take you to where your location is. You have the little person. The little person is cool because that puts you into uh, street view. So if there are street view locations. 3D. So your big cities, your, your popular destinations are going to have a 3D look to them. So you can click that and it's going to do a really cool 3D effect. You have the compass. Um, the compass will kind of reorient your screen. And then you have your zoom in and zoom out feature here. All right, so 
that's the bottom toolbar, which kind of always gets a little people confused. But then over here on the left-hand side, the menu bar here is the most important stuff here. So the search bar, Becky, what do you do when you go to search? Um, I click on it and I, I start typing, usually locations, places. Well, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Oh, well, let's go to, mm, let's go to the White House. The White House. All right. It's the first thing I had that was appropriate. <laughs> well, the way you're dressed, I thought you were going to say the beach or somewhere, but sure, let's go to DC for, for our vacation. That makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I wear to the White House. All right, here we go. It's, it's a little slow. All right, we're zooming in. It's going to take us here. Here we go. So the best part is when you're running multiple tabs and StreamYard at the same time, Google Earth is going to be a little slow. <laughs> so the little fly effects uh, are not going to be as cool, but it is, we're, we're getting there. So in the search bar, you can go to, you can search for locations, you can put in street addresses, you can put in the names of places. It also will give you suggestions that you'll notice in the, when we clicked on it before, it gave some suggestions. Then over here on the right-hand side, it gives you the Wikipedia article. So you can read information about what you're looking at through Wikipedia. And we'll talk about the add to project in a, in a little bit. But that's the search. So that's easy. Find a place, look at it. It's going to give you information on the right-hand side. And then you're going to be all set. The next cool button, and I apologize for it being so blurry, because usually it's not blurry. It's going to do a cool 3D effect if we, if you we waited long enough. You need to play with later. Yeah. Because <laughs> my computer's... My computer's not going to cooperate with me. Um, you'll notice down at the bottom it says six percent, so that's how long it's taking for it to showing you load load time. So this is a, a common problem when I use this with students. Depending on the Chromebook model um, your students have, it can be kind of slow. Um, iPads it seems to be a little quicker if you're an iPad uh, one to one, but just kind of this is kind of normal depending on Should what all's running in the background. Should we just show the slides since they've got the video and then it might go fast? It might, your, what are your thoughts? I'm fine with that if it's going to act this, this slow and crazy because I do apologize at the fact that my I was mm. computer was not cooperating with me. But yeah, we can go back to the slides since that's, it's not, it's right. not you, it's not you, it's me. Uh, <laughs> that's right, so. it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so let's, let's maybe like slide seven. Oh, are we sharing mine? What are we doing here? There we go. Go back to Jared's. Okay. I'm, where are we at? Who's who's on what? You're you're on it. Let's go back one and let's talk about Voyager because Voyager is actually super cool and something that you can use with your students. Um, I'll, sorry, I'm taking over for you, but no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So Voyager actually has different stories in it 
And if you click on that second little icon that looks like a wheel, you can uh, follow different stories based on what you're teaching. One that I got stuck on the other day because it was really exciting was around brown bears. Um, <laughs> and it actually- it I remember that because you didn't get any work done. Not a thing. Because it actually pulled up live videos uh, in different locations. And in one of them, I got to see some brown bears live. Um, which is so cool because I could actually take that and fit it in with uh, my science lesson with my students. I'm elementary focus. Um, and there are a lot of great features for using Google Earth beyond looking up your own house, which is our go-to. I don't know why we go into <laughs> Earth and type in our address. So check out this Voyager. It's going to take you through different curated stories that are already there, ready to go. And then and if there's and it changes all the time. So that's the cool thing. It changes, changes constantly. So this is a good kind of warm-up activity if you're, you know, teaching social studies or something like that. Let's let's go explore somewhere and then have them tell you about it uh, later. For sure. What, what they what they learned. Yeah. And, then, and if, oh, go ahead. oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say if there's a story that's not in there or there's a voyage that's not in there, you can actually create your own. Mm -hmm. And that was within projects. So um, another really cool feature to use in Earth. That's right. Then underneath Voyager, you have the dice and that's called feeling lucky. So when you click on that, it's going to take you to random locations where you can explore. And again, this is perfect for your kind of warm up activities, bell ringers, things like that, where especially if you're teaching geography or social studies, the kids can click on that and then they can learn about a location at random and then they can write up a little thing about it and, and tell you what they, what they learned. Mm -hmm. And then underneath uh, that is, what's that? Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, keep going. We got this. <laughs> underneath that is the project creation button. So this is brand new. Uh, came out, I believe, in December, November, December of 2019. And it's if you're familiar with uh, Tour Builder, Tour Creator, um, which is a separate program, this is this is Tour Builder 2.0. So it's built in to Google Earth. And what you can do is you can create your own stories, projects with it. And so it works very much similar to Google Slides. So what you do is you click the project button, you click the create button and then you find a location. And so in those places, let me go back up. So in those places that said add to project, this is where you can add. So if you go to a location like the White House, you're too far. If you go to places like the, like the White House, it said add to project. And what you can do is click and it'll add it to a project. And you can build these little stories. There you go on my screen, it says add to project there. And so you can create these really cool tours. And this isn't on the exam um, because this is a newer feature, but it is there and something worth exploring that maybe we can do as a separate, separate webinar at another time. But to kind of show you if it'll work, uh, one way I've done tours is I have done a school tour. So in the pandemic, we were out of school and our rising sixth graders couldn't come visit our school as normally scheduled. And so what I did is created a Google Earth tour of our school. And so what it allows you to do is you, you add your location, you can add images, 
uh, in there. So your own curated images you can add in there. The other cool thing too is you can add um, Google Slides. So if you have students create Google Slides, they can save, the, save them as JPEG files and then add them into this. And again, it creates a very neat little flow. And so you can see I have different images or slides in there. And then when you're ready to present, you would just click present and you can also share so students can work collaboratively, but it's not real time like we're familiar with with Google Docs. Um, but they can work collaboratively and add their own things to it. And so when it loads, you can share the file, you can share it as a file or as a link. And so it'll load and you'll see the table of contents here. And then what you can do is you just click through it. And I won't go all the way through it, but we'll just see if this, just to demonstrate some of what it can do. You can add links. So what I've done is I've added a YouTube link here. So as it's loading, you can click a YouTube video. It opens up another tab. You can watch that YouTube video, come back to this tab, and then click the next button. And then it takes you to the next slide. So it's a really, really neat way where you can build, excuse me, build in some really neat interactivity with Google Earth. Um, I had high schoolers doing this back in the spring. They were creating their own uh, tours. They created their own tour company, and then they had to design tours that people would want to pay for. And so they used Google Earth to do the same thing. This is a 360 photo I took with my phone, and so you can add those in, in these as well. So there's a lot of neat things um, you can do with the, the tour builder. So definitely check, check that out. Um, let me go back. Doo, doo, doo. Becky, I will say this is not as cool as a presentation as I was hoping. I mean, I think we're <laughs> number one right now. If you're going to put us in order, this is it. <laughs> this is the best way to end a show. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, the other thing on the toolbar is you have, you can customize the look of Google Earth. So you can have it clean with no borders. You can do exploration where you have borders, labels, and places. Uh, you can do where it shows you everything or you can customize it. And then the last one is you can actually measure distances. So this is a neat way if you're teaching math or just want to know the distance from the White House to the Eisenhower building, um, you can map that out and then you can figure out how long it would take you to walk there if you wanted to walk there, the, the distance. So that's a neat feature of Google Earth. And what they'll ask you on the exam is to search. They're going to ask you to open up Google Earth. They're going to ask you to search or use the um, the uh, the Voyager button, or they're going to ask you what Voyager does. So again, Voyager allows you to curate different stories or view curated different stories and topics. And like Becky said, you can now create those for yourself. But now we're going to backtrack. Let's backtrack back to to my maps and I'm not even gonna bother to try to do my maps live. I don't okay. I don't wanna risk it. Is it is it sad that I don't wanna risk it? <laughs> I, I think I we've got this. We plan you plan for this. We're good. That's right. <laughs> um so with with my maps, my maps again this is you can create your own custom maps. It's very much different than Google Maps. Um, but what you can do is you can create them in, in Drive. So before it started, you know, having trouble with it. With what you would do is open up Google Drive, go to more, go to create, go to more, and it's, and then you'll locate My Maps. And then what it'll do is it'll open up in a new tab for you. 
And it's going to want you to edit your map. So you're going to give your map a name. You can give it a description if you want. And then what you can do is start searching for places. So you search for a place, and then you want to click the Add to Map button. And that's going to add the place mark to your map. And then what you can do, you can go a little bit further. You can customize the way that map dot looks. So if you wanted it to be a different color, or let's say it's a, you know, a restaurant you can change it to a little food icon you can do different things like that you can add a description into the box and then also too you'll notice you can add your own photos and so this is really cool again if you have students creating slide decks they can create slide decks of information and then add it into the image portion of the the map dot the place marker and then create these little tours so they can just keep going along and along and on the left-hand side, what that does is it creates your, your map core. So you'll see where it says my map, the description, and then it says untitled layer, where you could name that layer, and then your layer would be the tour. And you can, you can have multiple layers. So it could be, you know, a tour of this country and then another tour of another country. You can, you can layer it all different ways. Um, and then you can name that layer so that way you know what you're working at. But you can also share it. So with students, you can share a map so the students can collaborate together on it. They can add, um, again, it's not real time like we're used to in other Google products, but I could be working on a layer and then Becky could be working on a layer. And then at the end of it, we have a completed tour that we can then share as a link to our classmates or to our teacher. Um, you can publish it to an LMS like Google Classroom or Schoology or whatever you might be using. And then you can create these nice little tours that kind of take you take you to different places. And you can change the map view so you have the cartoon cartoonish look here, but you can change it into um, the geo look very much like Google Earth. It saves automatically to Drive. So in Drive, it's going to create a folder for you called My Maps, and all your My Maps are going to live in that folder. But you can also get to My Maps by going to google.com slash maps, and this is going to take you to all the maps you've ever created. You can search for maps that have already been created. So maybe I want to do a wine tour, and Becky has a really good wine tour uh map that she has published. I could search for that and go on a wine tour. Um, shared under the share tab, that's if students uh, or other people have shared uh, their map with you would be there. And then of course, recent, that's anything you've opened up recently. But your maps live there along with in Google Drive. And then you can also create new maps there as well. All right, there is a question. Yes. When would you use My Maps versus Earth's Project Creator? Well, to be honest, it kind of depends on what you want to do. Um, so I'll say, in my experience, My Maps is actually a lot easier to create on tablets. So if you have students using tablets, My Maps is going to be a lot easier where Google Earth, that tour builder, is strictly going to be in the Chrome web browser on, say, a Chromebook or, or a laptop. So that's a big one there. It just depends on what device you're using and what you want it to be for. Yeah. And there were a few people who mentioned that their district has either blocked my maps or they've blocked Earth. Um, chat with your IT, honestly. Give them a reason for why it would be beneficial. And yes. um, you should be able to get it up and running. And I will say, like, there, there's so much you can do with it. And it 
if you can't, then at least for the test, practice on a personal account. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you can, if you can leverage your IT department to unblock Google Earth, there's really not a whole lot of bad stuff you could get into. I'm, I suppose there are. I've just never gone looking for it. <laughs> Um, but again, I know student privacy because, you know, we do tend to look up our addresses and things like that. So maybe it could be a, a privacy issue where they don't want students creating a map of, of where they, they live. Could be could be one reason. Uh, one last thing we want to show you before we wrap it up is Google Lit Trips. Um, this is a really neat website where you can search for Google tours, Google Earth tours that are based on books. And so we have that linked in our presentation. So when you go back to our presentation, just click the, the um, picture there and it'll take you to the website. But these are curated um, tours of different map or different tours around different books. So you can search, you can see K5, six to eight, nine to 12, and just see if there are any books that you might be covering in class that you would want to take a tour of. And what it does is if the book is based on a real location, you know, it takes you through those, those different places, um, which is really, could be really cool to, to take a look at. And then our last slide is if you really want to get creative and you really want some more resources, we have linked here some different websites on different ways you can use My Maps and Google Earth in your classroom. So you can do map making, how to do collaboration with my maps and of course ditch uh ditch that textbook 10 ways to use maps in the classroom which has got some really cool resources there all right do you want to tell, tell them about the badge yeah earn another badge and um like they said earlier put all of these in your signature <laughs> so that way every time you send an email you have five thousand badges um but no really and, do and, earn if, and badge. if you're watching and if you're watching Melissa Hooker, who is one of my teachers, who asked me, what am I supposed to do with these badges? And I did say that. Put it in your email signature. <laughs> Make everybody go, ooh, what's that? Yeah. But, um, but really, the badges are cool because it's actually getting you experiences with each of the different tools before you test. So mm -hmm. um, we did change this one up a little bit. If you've already done it the other way, that's cool. But create a Google map of your favorite place and tell us why we should visit and then share the link on Twitter. Initially, we had it as a map of where you live, uh, but then we realized you probably don't want to share that on Twitter with the world. Maybe you do, and maybe that's your favorite place. Uh, but uh, create it, share it, and then tag Jared at edtech underscore ology and myself at Tech with Becky, and you'll earn your, your Maps and Earth Transformer badge. That's right. That's that's it, guys. I mean, we, and, we did this. And Becky's favorite place was the White House, obviously. Mine would be a beach somewhere. Mine's <laughs> <laughs> not even the White House. <laughs> well, it's the first one that popped into your head, but that was fun. We'll take it. <laughs> it was because it was on one of those slides. I thought I was going to a theme. Oh, I see what you were doing there. It really made people question my coffee. Was <laughs> <laughs> that just coffee? <laughs> also, I, I know we're running out of time, but I have to mention Jared's towel. I keep looking at you and trying not to laugh hysterically because it looks a little like a um, a scarf. 
It's, it's one of those goalie nice. towels. Have you have it's you never used nice one of these color. before? No. <laughs> well, in South Carolina, it's hotter than blazes outside, and so this is a good thing to have. I feel like cool, cool your neck. You can you know wipe sweat yeah. off with it. <laughs> I like it. And I think Rick just left. Were you letting us just end the show? <laughs> oh, one, I, one I, I was thinking you guys, you got this. No, it just did. My, my Wi-Fi uh, fell apart, but I'm back. So cool. end with a whimper, not a bang. That's what I always say. So that's right. <laughs> All right. Um, I've got some uh, bookkeepy type stuff. But now I have to reshare my things. Is that right? Is that the right one? Yes. No, yeah, that's, that's not the right one. I don't like that one. <laughs> let's, let's try a different one. Uh, Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Mm. Yeah. Which which of the forty seven tabs do I have open? Am I going to use? Mm. Um, well, he's doing that, that for real. This has been awesome. Thank you all so much for sticking around. Don't leave yet. There's more goodness to come. From that's right. Why can't I point True. the right from Rick? And yep, I, I don't think Bonnie's here. She had like work style things to do. So, so oh, who wants right. to work? Little GG is the fun work. Yeah, yeah, this is this is the one where we put in more time, but uh, don't get paid. Right. Except in love, we get that's paid right. in love. All mm -hmm. right, I'm gonna boot you two off and and this thing up, bring it in for landing. So. Awesome job today, everybody. And if you have any uh, like questions or you want to get at the slide deck, follow that bit.ly. It's all right there. It'll bring you into uh, the Global GEG website. And you can look at all the things, because they're all right there. Now, Becky, I'm going to leave you up for this, too. OK. I'll make um, my hand You want to read this one? Yeah. What did you think about today? Uh, please provide feedback. If you're tired of seeing my face, you can put that in the feedback. I mean, it might no. hurt my heart a little bit. Uh, but no, really do provide us feedback because we want to help you all grow. And so go to bit.ly backslash GEG global feedback. And from here, uh, by filling out the feedback, you'll also get a certificate of completion. So you'll get that certificate that you need. Uh, some districts required to show some PD hours and all of that. Uh, if you don't fill out the feedback and if you don't put your address correctly, you will not get the form or the nothing. Nada. Yeah. So, hey, sir. yeah, please do fill it out. And we, we do appreciate feedback. We're doing this for all of you. Yeah. And we want to know what you want. Right. I mean, otherwise, why are we doing this other than yeah. we hear ourselves talk? Um, follow us on Twitter or and subscribe on the YouTubes and visit our website and follow us on it. We have an Instagram? Nice. We do have an Instagram. Yeah, yeah, you should get one. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Facebook and join our Google group. And is that the whole slide deck? That yep, doesn't advance any further. All right. So once again, go to our website. You can find everything there, including a link to this recording and the slide deck. It's all at that bit.ly we shared earlier. Um, and that's it. Thank you all for coming. Shout out to Rick uh, and Bonnie. I know Bonnie has to actually work, but thank you all for hosting. This has been awesome. It was fun, right? Yeah, I liked it. See ya. Yeah.